valley was gone. We hear just as heavy as lead. But we never get Hello, this is Sean Clark. I've been a wargamer for over 30 years, and this is God's Own Scale Podcast. This episode sees me interview Nick Durrell, rules author, most recently of the Twilight Of series, which we talk about amongst many other things during the course of our chat. It's a slightly longer one than normal, so buckle yourself in, it could be a bumpy ride. Looking back a few episodes, I intimated that we may be seeing glimmers of hope regarding the pandemic, but I'm afraid to say that that looks to have been a full storm and it seems that it'll be with us for much longer than anticipated. How this affects the country and the wider world remains to be seen for the long term, but as the weeks go by, the decision by the organisers of Vapnotec in York seems to have been more and more prescient in cancelling their event so far ahead, which was due to be held uh, during February 2021. And with Salute only a few weeks further on in the calendar, the picture seems increasingly gloomy. There has to be a shadow cast over that particular event. But if all listeners can cross fingers and toes, hopefully by the new year, we may see a clearer picture of where we are and hopefully, hopefully, get back to some semblance of normality. Uh, Hobby News, as I speak, uh, which is the 27th of October, the Backer Shopping Cart is scheduled to open once again on or around the 1st of November and with a sneak peek of more World War II and the initial batch of Pony Wars releases I'm sure it's going to be another busy one for Peter and the team. No other new releases in God's Own Scale that I can see at the moment although there appears to be a new kid on the block sculpting what looked like to be some very nice Napoleonics and that's a company called Grumbler Miniatures who've posted some pictures up on their Facebook and Twitter feeds and web pages that look very promising. I'll keep an eye on how they develop and have already reached out to the owner to possibly come onto the show for a chat. Always nice to have a new voice on here. That doesn't mean to say I don't like speaking to uh, people who've already appeared. Of course, I welcome everybody back and indeed it's one of the conditions of appearing on the show that they agree to come back for another chat. And one of those could very soon to be Mr. Robert Fellows from 2D6, uh, who you may have uh, heard talking in episode 7, way back in episode 7. Well, he has a Kickstarter launching soon for Sengoku-era Samurai. If you follow the link in the show notes, you'll see it looks about ready to go. I've got a feeling it's sometime around mid-November that it will be launched, but all the details are there on the Kickstarter page of what will be on offer. I have to say, it looks incredible. Figures, rules, scenery, everything you need from Ashigaru to warrior monks to armed peasants, even to a Tori gate. I can't wait to see how it goes, and I shall try to get Robert onto the show to tell us all about it before the launch. Okay, as ever, you're here to listen to the interview. Enough of my wittering on. Let's talk about six. Mademoiselle from Armandier, say to you, sing it with all your heart and soul, and see everyone ride up the pole. Mademoiselle from Armandier. 
Okay, welcome to episode 20 of God's Own Scale podcast, number 20. That's uh, that's quite a big number now, I think. Uh, and I have another special guest with me today, one that I've hunted down across this fair land and tracked him down uh, and nailed him to his seat. So he'll speak to me tonight. Um, it's a name I think a lot of you will be familiar with, particularly if you're interested in the six mil hobby, and why wouldn't you be if you're listening to this podcast? On the call with me tonight, I've got Mr. Nick Durrell. Hi, Nick. Hi, and thanks for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure, mate. Before we started recording, I, I was questioning myself how, how to pronounce your surname, whether it was Durrell or Durrell, and I, I, I've gone with Durrell for some reason, whereas I suspect Durrell is the more uh, familiar use is is that right or you, no, you're not particularly bothered are you i'm not i'm not bothered and uh and to be honest i think uh, it's one of these names which gets pronounced both ways uh, to either so that's the main thing <laughs> well with a, a name like sean clark i go through my life spelling it or, or re-spelling it or t- telling people how to spell it so sean s-e-a-n clark without an e is uh, a familiar refrain from myself, but uh, I, actually, I actually often get belly. People um, um, assume that it's, it's it's an Italian name, and obviously, um, I at the end, so I get called belly sometimes. So. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange thing, the English language. Yeah, very much. Uh, Nick, I, I've hunted you down because uh, you are um, author, rules writer, extraordinaire. Um, <laughs> of of numerous sets of rules, articles, books. Um, are you the current chair of the Pike and Shot Society? Is that right? No, no. Uh, um, I'm uh, officially postal sales officer, so I handle uh, the sales for them. There's um, a, a very fine um, educated gentleman called Stephen E. Borrett. Um, ah, yes. But uh, I, I basically, I basically, the, I'm the one that you get to to, uh, to send all the stuff out and. Met around with the stores and things for the society. That's me at the moment. <laughs> you're the chair of your war games group, aren't you? I knew you're the chair of something. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm chairman. Well, we don't really have a, a very organised formal uh, committee at the, my local club, but I'm the founder and um, main organiser for the Wild Forest Club, and um, I was also uh, involved in the foundation of the Arg um, War Games Club in the Czech Republic as well in the past. Wow. But <laughs> we keep in touch. I was going to say, uh, did you make the weekly meetings of that club? <laughs> no. <laughs> they're, they're a good bunch of guys, and we meet up. Uh, I mean, sadly, of course, we uh, we normally would meet up at Saloon. Um, of course, haven't got to do that this year for obvious reasons. So hopefully, would, we'll get to meet up uh, next Saloon in uh, 2021. Yes, let's hope. We'll, we'll, we'll keep everything crossed that... Uh, Next year returns to some sort of normality. Yep. Um, as is traditional with uh, first-time guests on the show, Nick, I I like to delve into their wargaming history, their their wargaming biography, if you will, before we move on to the sort of meat and potatoes of the of the interview. Um, so, just for the benefit benefit of the listeners, Nick, just give us a, a bit of a background as to how you got into playing with toy soldiers. Well, I think, um, uh, like uh, many people of my generation, uh, the route it was in FX um, um, models and, uh, and figures. Uh, it was a slightly unusual start in that um, this is when I was about 
uh, I don't know, eight or nine, something like, like, like that. Um, uh, I was mad keen on football, and that's the American. Um, and uh, at school, uh, we had to do uh, some kind of hobby class. I think that I didn't really have an indoor hobby, so uh, oh. my, so my mother <laughs> dragged me around around uh, the local town to try and find something that I could do this hobby class and couldn't find anything. So in the end, she said, "Oh, I'll buy you one of these uh, uh, picking up a random um, ethics kit, which turned out to be the Churchill tank uh, kit, uh, and gave me that." Um, that was the first time I did it. <laughs> Got into doing kits in this in this hobby craft um, for a couple of years at the, at um, the school. Uh, but I um, uh, doing that, I found out that my cousin also did that, who was around about the same age as me. So a bit later on, we started playing uh, games with the various ethics kits and figures we had, and uh, these were very much. Um, in the garden, with um, you know, we had little cannons which fired matchsticks, and uh, sometimes we had like a BB gun. BB gun's a little thing that fires little plastic pellets and stuff. Right. So essentially, we put the soldiers in the tanks uh, um, around the garden, sort of thing, and then shoot them at various things, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is quite fun. I mean, stupidly, uh, later on when I was a bit older, uh, we did that with air rifles, which of course meant that most of the tank figures got completely destroyed. Uh, um, as they got uh, broken to pieces, you know. But in the meantime, yeah. um, um, uh, this is, I guess, uh, in my teenage years, I was getting more and more interested in history. And um, I can't remember what I was actually looking for, but I was looking for something in, in, in the local library that would be uh, 13, 14, 15, that kind of age. Um, and I came across uh, practical wargaming um, in uh, the local library. Um, and... I thought it looked interesting, looked um, something that we could maybe do, because uh, one of the problems with playing with um, matchstick, fine matchsticks of people in in the garden was, of course, you can only do that in nice weather, and of course, being in the Welsh borders, you don't get much nice weather, so what uh, <laughs> no. can actually do in the winter and things. So I I, I took that out, and that was a start of um, of uh, proper wargaming, I guess, for me. Um, uh, so we I played that. Um, with my cousin, and we both had um, a younger brother each, so we managed to both beat him into playing as well. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, well, I guess I was about, I don't know, probably sort of 15, 16. We went uh, to a local uh, town, and they had um, some uh, metal figures. They were um, the old um, Garrison ones, I think. Um, yeah. And I managed to do the, uh, the classic thing of convincing my mother to buy me, uh, I didn't know what they were, to buy me uh, 10 Persian um, Immortals and 10 Greek Hoplites with a classic line of, don't worry, Mom, this is, this is uh, all the figures I'll ever need in my entire life. And I think I've still got them somewhere. They're terribly painted and completely battered. They were the start of actually buying um, something serious. Uh, but we only really played um, games, uh, me and my cousin and my brothers, between ourselves until my cousin was going to uh, leave the area and go to university. Uh, and I thought to myself, well, this means I'm not going to get to play any games. I need to do something like this. And I'd seen in uh, military modelling, um, in, in those days there was any actual um, uh, wargaming uh, publications as such, but that had a kind of a wargaming section in it. Uh, so uh, what I did was I advertised the formation of, of a new club, the uh, Wi-Fi uh, Wargames Club, which is uh, still my club, 
uh, at that time there was only actually me in it. Right. <laughs> for people to get in touch with me in those days, of course, it was letters, uh, yes. waiting for the letters to arrive, and uh, and then uh, held a meeting and said, well, um, well, guys, the, the truth is it's just me. <laughs> Shall we now form a club sort of thing? And, and that's how we got going. <laughs> Um, and that's when I really started. I mean, until that point, I'd not seen any any set of wargame rules apart from um, the practical wargamer. Uh, although even then, I was fiddling around, you know, doing things with it and messing around with it. Um, so that was my start. Um, and um, very quickly, we, we we got the club going uh, uh, in the area. And uh, I guess that was uh, that would be late seventies, I guess. Um, yeah. And. So I've been a member of that club um, ever since, and, and as I say, for a time, I was uh, living in Park, so I was in, in that club as well. <laughs> so um, how long were you in Prague for? Uh, ten years, more or less, yeah. from um, uh, 2000 to about 2010. Uh, and uh, when I was in Prague, uh, it was a very similar kind of situation, really, the... Uh, the um, Figure war gaming was not that popular, and, and I don't think still is that popular in in the tech public as a as a generality. Um, they've got a lot of modelers, but not many uh, war gamers. And what war gamers they've got tend to be more into your Games Workshop or Warhammer uh, sci-fi stuff rather than um, historical stuff. Um, yeah. And I basically did a similar kind of thing then. I kind of um, I was going to a local, um, it wasn't a games workshop up shop, but it was um, a tech edition of it, uh, and trying to introduce people there into doing historical games. And I met another guy who was interested. Peter, uh, if you're listening, he might be listening to this. Uh, and um, then we uh, together formed, um, I think, first Czech historical war games club. And that is going uh, great guns as well now, I think, you know, and, um, with a, a nice mixture of expats and uh checks and all kinds of people crikey so uh that's that must be quite an achievement getting um an historical wargaming club in into eastern europe yeah well i mean the the it's 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 very interesting in eastern europe because of course you yeah, know for 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 them particularly at that time um anything from the west which of course meant all figures and rules was extremely expensive um, and um, and so the the scene was kind of dominated by plastic kits and plastic models and things. And as you may or may not be aware, there's a lot of Eastern European um, plastic kits models of different kinds around, uh, which I come to the fore um, um, over here. Um, and so so we did a lot in that to start off with, and then over time um, spread out. You know, but of course, um, because of that, there was a lot of cooperation. We we had a uh, very nice contacts with some people in um, Kakoff in um, Poland. Um, and we used to go over to some events um, over there and they'd come over to us. Um, it, it was an exciting time. It was kind of felt, I mean, I don't know, but it kind of felt like maybe it might have been in the 1960s with the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, <laughs> the uh, founding fathers of modern wargaming, you know, the, the, yeah. that generation, I guess. It must have been something like that. You were very much kind of, you know, uh, making do what we could, and you know, uh, going back to I mean, I don't know if you did this, but um, when we were when I was a child, we used to kind of um, I remember we got a whole stack of um, U.S. cavalry and chopped them in half and ancient British uh, upper bodies on the Union cavalry lower bodies to make <laughs> to make some ancient British cavalry. We did a lot of that kind of uh, right, yes, plastic kits and stuff, and uh, 
you know, strapping on extra things to, to various kits and models and uh, <laughs> it was it was fun, yeah, very fun, yeah. Um, and of course the uh, the, uh, uh, the the Eastern Europeans have, have got their own uh, take on uh, history and uh, historical events and things. And of course they do some uh, they're interested in a lot more of things which are unusual uh, in the English speaking world, but of course are normal um, in in their history. So that was quite fun. <laughs> Yeah, that that cultural difference must have been quite interesting. And like you say, you're it sounds like you're that sort of pioneering pathfinder uh, for the hobby out there. But the cultural differences um, must have had an impact on the periods and eras of history that they they would be wanting to gain. Certainly, the uh, the the Czech people as opposed to expats. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Um... Yes, so yes. I mean, uh, like everyone else, that they, they, they were influenced by um, you know, the, same, the same kind of thing that everybody is. You know, Hollywood uh, movies. Um, uh, they, they. Uh, but by the time I was there, it was about ten years after the end of communism. Of course, uh, they had seen things like Sharp and um, and um, classic, um, classic kind of classic media things that, that, that we use as sources. Uh, but, but of course, they're also interested in in kind of things from tech history and and from um, just a, you know, European history more than, than we are here. I mean, um, uh, obviously things like the um, Hussites and the um, Czech Legion from the First uh, uh, War and the Russian Civil War are kind of really, uh, really quite um, uh, popular. And then obviously things like um, the various Czech pilots who uh, who fought over here with us and yeah. Etc. Then, of course, the Poles. Obviously, they they're um, extremely um, interested in doing uh, from their glory time, from the Winged Tars and that kind of era. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. It's it's um it, it's really a, a gap in my knowledge. Uh, Eastern uh, European warfare renaissance, um, but uh, being in actually in the Embedding in that culture, as you were, that that must have been an exciting time, as you say. Yeah, I think as well because, of course, the thing is that um, uh, yeah, because I'm basically a, a rural boy um, uh, living out in the countryside, uh, and the thing that was quite exciting was that uh, uh, Prague is an international city. Uh, so, for example, we we had, uh, had some some great times in Poland with this, uh, this guy who was actually a professor of Polish. Um, history. Um, he, he's actually done some, some nice uh, blogs and things as well. Um, uh, but he was dressed as a winged guitar. And then we had this guy, this guy, uh, this Irish guy who's uh, <laughs> a very classic kind of Irish uh, gift of the gab guy um, and an Italian. Uh, and uh, this other uh, British guy, and they were having this kind of drinking competition and this um, singing various songs in various languages. Uh, wow. uh, it's quite fun. Uh, but of course, the thing is, it is quite nice compared to maybe um, normal uh, environment to have. Uh, we had lots of people from, from not just from the Czech Republic, but from lots of other um, countries, uh, the Germans and Germans and um, various other people uh, who each have their, ho- their own take on things. So, so you can, um, a, friend of my, a friend of mine is always going, um, uh, 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 always says that the, uh, the British get plus one kind of idea yeah. <laughs> so it's very difficult to get away with that kind of thing in in, um, in that company <laughs> yes yes yeah D- more difficult argument I should yeah. imagine. Well, the thing is also as well it's it, it just gives you a bit of a um 
uh, an insight into uh, into um, a different point of view to standard one uh, that we have in the English speaking world. Yeah, the uh, the um, a, a friend of mine was um, a, a British friend of mine who came over. He was actually amazed because he he uh, looked this um, um, account of the uh, Peninsula War, the Napoleonic uh, Peninsula War. Um, and of course, he was. Uh, um, this is a. I think it was actually a French um, version of it, which is um, in, in Quebec. And he was absolutely amazed because basically Wellington and the British Army hardly got a mention, and it was all it all uh, French and Spanish fighting each other. Right. Just from a from a, a non-British point of view, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah we we often view these things, don't we, through. Um the uh the british perspective and naturally so it's it's our history it's our culture but um experiencing our own history or a shared history such as the napoleonic wars which covered obviously uh, most of the european landmass um experiencing it from that different perspective uh, must have been an interesting take on things mm, yeah yeah it certainly was i mean um and sometimes, of course, it, be, it can be very useful because, of course, um, uh, th- th- this is kind of uh, uh, to, to uh, mention something that we might talk about later. But this is kind of um, one thing which I found was useful uh, when I started to write things, uh, because, of course, I, I was writing at least initially mostly about subjects which hadn't got any English in English or British involvement in them. Uh, so I was kind of acting as a bit of a referee between competing views of the of the situation um which uh, the different nationalities had yeah it was uh, fun um, yes. it's certainly it's certainly a different different perspective about uh, about things and um uh, i mean i don't know if you know any people from from eastern europe they are incredibly interested in their history and um, and and, uh, and what happened so it's not very refreshing it was i thought yeah yeah i've, I've got German friends, uh, so so not exactly Eastern Europe, but um, certainly uh, the the war isn't a subject that we we can't talk about. It's something that we we absolutely can talk about. Certainly with the the people I know of my generation and slightly younger, uh, it's absolutely not off, off limits. And to have conversations with German people who've got who had relatives involved in the war, and in fact, some of those relatives I got to know um was was fascinating and certainly informed me and, and broadened my own understanding of these things away from that anglocentric view which naturally we grow up in and around yeah 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 um so you were the sole founder then of the Y forest gamers your local group which is still going um, yeah, it sounds me- as I said, I mean, uh, basically, the, the because I didn't have an opponent, uh, I, uh, I put an advertisement in uh, military modeling, which I think is 77 or 78, I think, uh, um, uh, saying the formation of the Wild Forest War Games Club, but it was in fact just me. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I gave my addresses uh, as the contact details, and so assorted people um, wrote to me. Um, some, of, some of them are still are still gaming, some of them are still around uh, doing bits and pieces. Um, uh, but we had a meeting uh, in my front room <laughs> where I admitted that can I get to, to the assembled people that uh, there wasn't actually any club, but I wanted to form <laughs> where they interested kind of thing. And, and, and obviously we went to found, I mean, I was only you know, 
17 or 18 myself at that point. So it's a, yeah. uh, some of them were, were um, a little bit older than me and they were kind of perplexed about it, but, um, but that's how we got going. Um, Sounds like you got them out there under false pretenses. Yeah, well, the listeners probably won't know, but the area I live is kind of like on the edge of, um, of um, um, a major urban area, but um, we largely get people from, from the rural areas. So, of course, it's, um, it's not so easy to get, get together, if you know what I mean. Um, in uh, well, certainly, for, certainly for Britain. I mean, we're we're, not, I mean, we're quite lucky that there's a lot of urban areas close to each other, and you can go to them. But we're relatively isolated. Yeah. So that worked, as I said, and 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 really, the club has, has thrived ever since. Um, and probably now, um, uh, we we now we're in the the uh, we've got the nice situation with a lot of the people. Uh, we have a lot of people who are maybe uh, dropped out. Uh, when they were younger and they had um, families and careers and stuff and they're now coming back into the hobby and they're now coming back to us. Um, and also, of course, because we're in a rural area, we're getting people who are who have been gaming or living in, in, in uh, various urban uh, areas and are now moving out to the countryside and now joining us. So we're probably, I think, uh, bigger than we've ever been, to be honest, as a club. Um, <laughs> and you've got a very informative website, haven't you? I've always um, it's, it's a website that I've, I've visited many times. Actually, um, we've, we've always we've always had um, um, uh, we've always had a bit of a tradition of basically trying to kind of like put things back. Um, I mean, partly because I guess uh, there's not too much else to do out here. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, um, uh, uh, um, uh, and I think it did kind of, like, for example, one of the early um, uh, people uh, who came to join us uh, was a guy called, um, a person called Guy Halsall. Um, I don't know if you'll come across him. Um, um, uh, but uh, he was quite, uh, uh, um, I think, quite influential, um, kind of in the uh, in the uh, setup because uh, it happens his, his father was my history teacher, would you believe, and then um, he he Guy Alsall, he wrote a lot of articles uh, in the early days of of the Wargaming magazines on kind of. Oh uh, yeah, the name does ring. I knew it rang a bell. Professor of history and archaeology at um, York or whatever it's still still keeping things but of course the thing is that, that he having someone like him who was clearly interested in, in history side of things um uh, kind of did influence the early club and have kept going uh, since then we, we've we've I'm, I'm, I'm really proud that we've had quite a lot of people uh, from within the club who are particularly the size of our club who have written uh, history books or um, articles, or, or you know, contributed to the wider hobby. I think that's uh, something I'm, I'm very proud of for the club. Yeah, it it certainly seems to have quite a um, a creative uh, a base to it. Certainly, when you look on the website at the uh, scenarios and the campaigns that you've put up there, and then the reference to the various sets of rules, which we'll we'll get onto shortly. But um, what's in the in those early days? Then, what was your own passion for wargaming what what periods were you most interested in um i've always flitted around a lot to be honest i mean uh, um we, we did uh, we did a, a lot of, a lot of second war at one time and then um uh, some of the guys who were the original uh, members of the club they had in the civil war um so we we started doing something at all and i guess that was probably my first um 
um, at full army was um, got to common to the Civil War in 25 mil in those days. Um, um, but then we we, uh, we rapidly got into um, 15 millimeter um, as a club, um, and that for a long time was the uh, the basic scale. And then everything really. We've what we, we I'd say as a as a kind of a club, one of our one of our um, biggest problems and one of our biggest advantages is that we don't really play um, any one set of rules or any one period uh, a lot. You know, we I and mean, if you look at the current website, you'll see that the there's a there's a, a bit of a um, gallery of games we played, and you'll see we we, we flit all over the place in different periods and different scales and and different sets of rules and things. So we play pretty much everything, but but not much of, of any one particular thing, if you know what I mean. So it can, can mean it's a bit kind of scattered, you know. Um, yeah, so I mean, um, uh, but, uh, I guess in recent times, I mean, in the uh, in the 1990s, I, I got really interested in the uh, the 19th century um, um, European and American Civil War uh, as a period, and that was when I first got involved in kind of um, uh, formal uh, rules writing and uh, that kind of stuff. Um, I'd always been, I've always been, I'm a tinkerer. I've always been a tinkerer with any kind of set of rules or, or <laughs> think I come up with house rules for doing various bits and pieces. But it, it was that kind of time uh, when I started to get in, involved in actually formally doing uh, um, a set of rules as such. Um, and that was for the for um, um, for Franco-Prussian War and uh, the Austro-Prussian War and that kind of wars. Um, and ironically, that's 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 why I went to the Czech Republic because, of course, that was the um, the theatre for a lot of these wars, and, and they were deeply involved in those those wars. Um, that's why I went there in the first place was to look at the uh, to study that. Um, but ironically, when I went there. Um, by the time I went there, my kind of interest was waning, and I got really interested in the Great Northern War and, and my first time there. So, right. in, in recent years, that's been the focus of my of my interest. But uh, I'll play anything. You know? I mean, I'm I'm quite happy to play any kind of period or any kind of um, um, rules and things. Just I, I don't necessarily run them uh, the, all the periods anymore. You know? So yeah, I, I played. I think the earliest army I've got is Hittites. And then all up to like um, modern day uh, Russians and uh, and that kind of stuff, or and everything in between. <laughs> so, so the the club then, uh, you it sounds like you're broad church and and play most periods and and various sets of rules, do you? Yeah, we're we're we're, we're terrible terrible. Um, I mean, we, we have a lot of. I mean, partly it's because of the the, the membership that we have now, uh, because uh, because we have a lot of people who have uh, either moved to the area or have returned uh, uh, to gaming in one sense or another. We have, uh, I mean, in 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 a, in a popular period like Napoleonics, we have two millimeter, six millimeter, ten millimeter, fifteen millimeter, twenty millimeter. Old 25, new 28 millimeter uh, figures, uh, and uh, one guy even does in 54 millimeter figures and stuff. And then, of course, each person has their own favourite set of rules. Um, and of course, obviously, some rules better for some, some scales than others as well. You know, so we must play regularly, like 10, maybe 15 different sets with these different armies and stuff. You know, and uh, and and in, and I personally have lots, lots of. Um, of um, similar collections of things. I think I've got um, in Civil War, I think I've got two millimeter, six millimeter, fifteen millimeter, and a few kind of like for skirmishing, um, eight millimeter figures. 
uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. So <laughs> we're a terrible mess. But uh, it's, it's it's interesting because, of course, we tend to work on the idea that um, uh, various people kind of specialise in doing, in doing different uh, kinds of battles at different scales and things. And then, and then um, you know, if I, I don't have too much at the moment, um, for example, um, uh, Napoleonic stuff. Uh, but, of course, a lot of the guys in the, gr- in the group, so I'll go and say to them, fancy having a game of tools and then they'll put it on you know, and we can have a go at that <laughs> yes I, yeah. think, I think that's the beauty of a club to be honest Tim. yeah and that, and that's similar with my club i think that um between us there's there's massive collections of figures across all all periods and it means that you don't personally have to have uh collections from every single period of history that you're interested in because no doubt somebody will have uh, a resource that you, you can dip into. So, uh, what's what sort of membership have you got at the club at the moment? Oh uh, well, obviously at the at the moment, um, uh, because we're we're struggling to kind of um, uh, keep going with the, uh, with the restrictions at the moment. We we've we've we have been back gaming for the last couple of months, and of course we have to keep changing the um, uh, what we can do and what we can't do. Um, uh, we we uh, I think there's there's a, a local membership of something like forty forty five I think. Um, we get sort of uh, before the before the, all the troubles we used to get twenty twenty five um, um, attending, which I think is a reasonable number. I'm not sure. Um, I'm in in your yeah yeah it's a similar sort of number. It's certainly a strong membership, isn't it? Strong ba- membership base yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know that. Well, I, I became aware of you through your rules writing um, and assistance with. Pair Broden and his large Great North War games. Did the interest in the Great North War precede being involved in those games? Because I know that that goes back some time, doesn't it? Seven, eight years, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it, um, the games have been going. Yes, on GitHub, seven, eight years now. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always been quite, quite interested in kind of. Uh, um, Awards which are a little bit unusual and um, a, bit, a bit of a romantic streak, I guess, as well. Um, I had a big phase of um, of, of uh, liking the Marcus Montrose and his campaign, which uh, is possibly, <laughs> probably an indicator. Of it. Um, yeah. And 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 I guess that was the the attraction of the Great Northern War originally was the um, the whole idea of the romantic um, lost cause kind of idea. Um, uh, but of course, the thing is, it's 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 it, 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 my interest in the nineteenth century wars in the uh, in the nineteenth century of the Franco-Prussian War, the Austro-Prussian War, uh, and those, those wars is that they are kind of they are very important to uh, the history of the world. But of course, because they don't involve uh, Britain in them, uh, particularly. I mean, we're involved in the Crimean War, but we're not uh, massively involved in the rest of them. Uh, they're not. They're not uh, don't feature too much in 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 the history uh, of of this country. And the Great Northern War is another one of those. It's a, it's a kind of a, a, a war which has a massive impact on the development of of uh, European history and and definitely, of course, um, uh, world history. Uh, but it wasn't. It's it's not that well known. Um, and so I started studying this, um, getting more interested in. I don't know. I guess. Um, I think it was around the time I went to Prague, I guess, around about sort of 2000, I started sort of um, doing serious um, um, research into, into that. Uh, and one of the advantages of um, of uh, being in Eastern Europe, which I didn't think of at the time, but um, 
during communism, um, whenever a book was published in one of the communist countries, uh, copies were sent to the other countries. Um, so, of course, that meant every single book in Russian uh, about war that had been written in the, in the last sort of, you know, 50 years or whatever uh, was in the Czech Republic. You know? um, of course, uh, it meant that there was um, I spent a lot of time in the, um, the Czech uh, military archive um, looking at Russian material and, of course, Polish material because Poland was also involved in the war um, while I was there, um, uh, which I hadn't intended, but it, but it was an, um, um, an unexpected bonus. And that, of course, got me interested in um, the contrast between, because um, the, at that time at least, most of what was written about the Great Northern War came from um, Swedish sources, uh, because, of course, Swedish uh, sources um, um, were also available in English. Um, it's a, a very good book uh, by um, a, a guy uh, about Paul Carver. Um, what's his name? Um, England? English? No. I'll, I'll look at it. England. 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 He's a Swedish guy who does a very good book about Paul Carver. Uh, one of the best um, uh, books about a single battle, I think, that I've uh, ever read. Um, and so I got interested in the war and started to, to, um, to uh, write bits and pieces about it and think about it and stuff. And uh, that eventually led, well, um, in fact, it was, um, it was uh, um, it with the Polymer Swords, first of all, that, uh, that I first started doing something with it. Um, Barry was, was, was doing um, a Polymer set, which the original intention was to cover. Uh, the War of Spanish Succession um, in Marlborough and also the Great Northern War. And um, I was in one of the old Yahoo groups um, um, when they took that. So I started making suggestions about how um, the, uh, the, the Great Northern War could be uh, done in those rules. And um, eventually he kind of said, um, uh, well, clearly you know, um, you know a lot about it. Would you like to write a separate set of, of uh, Great Northern War rules? Under the Polymer uh, system, uh, which I did. Um, I can't think when that came out. Um, about 2004, 2005, maybe something like that. Um, um, but, but essentially, uh, um, he put me into, into writing um, a version of the Polymer set of rules to cover the Great Northern War, um, which I think were okay. I mean, they're a bit clunky now, maybe, uh, um, but um, uh, they're, they're certainly good. And of course, uh, they had an awful lot of information. About the armies, which at that time uh, were wasn't that available, um, so uh, uh, that was kind of like my lead into it. Um, and then from that, um, uh, it was obvious to me that there was kind of like uh, room for uh, for me to possibly do some other stuff. And I, I kind of done um, effectively. I'd done a, a kind of series of articles. Uh, uh, or um, um, about the different battles in the in the 1708 1709 campaign in the Great Northern War, which is the the, um, the most famous one, the invasion of Russia. Uh, so, so I thought to myself, well, if I kind of you know beef these up a bit and strung them together, I've probably got a book here, um, uh, which which of course um, I, I did. Uh, and of course, at that time, it was it was quite 
um, quite um, uh, possibly useful information because there was a lot of it which came from Russian sources or Eastern European sources which weren't uh, that available at the time, and also uh, nobody uh, from from Russia and Poland was was writing in English about them. Um, so essentially, it was a lot of information which at that time was difficult to get hold of from the, uh, the Russian uh, side of things, um, and that was published in. 2009, I think, which is the anniversary of the battle. Of course, the battle was um, in uh, 1709. So, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was that uh, which actually, um, and the the uh, and the uh, Great Northern War rules, uh, which me in touch with here. And <laughs> it's, it's quite. Funny. I'm not. I'm not sure it, it, exactly if you if you was intended this, but it be kind of. Uh, Put some pictures of um, of first battle he did, which is a battle called Baustadt, which is um, and and, um, and tweeds in the snow. Um, I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it. You can see, you can find um, pictures of it online, uh, but it's in the snow, and it really, I mean, when you look at it, you, you feel cold. You know what I mean? You get that chill. Of that thing, <laughs> which just, just staggered me when I first saw it. Saw it. Um, so, but in any case, uh, he. he 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 wanted to put that on at uh, at, at uh, the Joy of Six um, show, um, uh, uh, but he were, I, I don't think he really had anybody to sort of do it with, you know. So I said, well, you know, um, uh, you know, we we'd been talking about various kind of um, uh, things to do with the battle and stuff, and I said, well, I'll come along and give you a hand, and I roped in some of the. Uh, the uh, others in in my pub, <laughs> and uh, and off we went, and of course we haven't looked back since. Joe. Um, so, uh, uh, and of course the thing is, it, you know, it it is um, so nice to find because up until that point, I'd not really kind of gained. I'd, I'd um, um, I beat various uh, people from the uh, from uh, my two clubs uh, playing the game, but none of them were particularly that interested in the war as such. So it's quite nice to find somebody who was. Who was Completely nuts about the war as well to actually play with. <laughs> so that was good fun, yeah. And of course, Pierre is, is just such a, an ambassador to the, the hobby and to um, well, everything really, anything he does, I, I'd imagine. Yeah. You won't remember this, Nick, but um, I uh, I actually met you at that Joy Six when the Freistadt game was on. Uh, I would have been just one of the faces in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I certainly know what you mean when you say about uh, you look at the game and you feel cold because the, the modelling was just amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I think I mean, uh, you know, I mean obviously being British, you you people know that we don't really get any snow here, do we? Not not compared to and and kind of like that was snow, wasn't it? You could kind of you know, and and it's it is amazing. We did later on, he did another one in the snow, and that was the same. Um, I think it's definitely. Need a Swede to get the ice into the kitchen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know if you actually played that game out at all? Was it, or was it just more of a display? Uh, well, I mean, generally speaking, I mean, uh, um, I mean, it's one of the things that that I've always thought about uh, about um, my games that shows. And funny enough, um, um, this also was something that uh, I developed with um, Guy Halsall. I was talking about earlier. Uh, is that the whole point of a demonstration game is to demonstrate, not play. Uh, and so, and so we've always every every demo game uh, we do. Uh, sometimes we do kind of basically play it or basically with some light version and stuff but essentially my role and and Piers role at those demo games is to talk, to talk to people 
come along uh, to, to the uh, thing and obviously you know they might be interested in the game but you know, quite often they'll be interested in how the train is made and the figures are painted so I, I think if somebody comes along and they're interested in that I'll, I'll shove them towards here you know, and if they're interested in history then I'll whittle on to them about that <laughs> but, but essentially so, 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 so to, to answer your question you know I I don't. I doubt very much. We 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 played um, first set of Genesis. It's too long ago uh, that I don't actually remember. I played it many times uh, as a game, not not at shows. Um, and as a general rule, we we don't play at all. We just kind of. Um, uh, it, 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 it's the important thing I think at, at, a, at a demonstration game is to demonstrate it, kind of you know, to um, uh, to talk to the people up who are interested in the game. You know? And funny enough, this actually got, got me onto the television. I'm not sure um, if I've mentioned I mentioned I was on the television with the gaming. I can't remember. No, no, absolutely not. No, you may be the first guest on the on the show, Nick, that uh, has had some TV stardom. Well, it wasn't exactly TV stardom. There was um, um uh, it was a program on uh, about hobbies. It was called Keen Types, um, which you would have probably have seen. I would guess, you know, um. Around, um, and essentially, what they did was they kind of like they they, they kind of went and and, and looked at unusual hobbies. And there was an episode; of it was a um, half an hour the kind of thing that's kind of um, on um, after the news and before the black blockbuster um, programs come on a bit later on, so like half past six, seven o'clock, that kind of spot on the, on the television. And um, uh, th- this one had it was about kind of people who did kind of um, um, games connected with war and stuff. So there was um, uh, some guy who dressed up as I think Richard the Lionheart and kind of walked um, around castles. Um, there was also um, a ten minute slot on some Viking reenactors, you know, doing that. Uh, and then they wanted to do some war games, um, and. Um, what they did is they went came to a local war game show, which was uh, being run at that time, and um, uh, me, me and my, me and Guy had got there and we got a bit bored. Um, we were waiting, you know, um, um, we wanted to go basically, and, and other people weren't ready. Uh, so I said to Guy, <laughs> I said, "Well, let's get out um, uh, uh, these figures. We we're doing a battle called um, Ellen Dune um, the next day um, at the at uh, club. Ellen Dune's an arcade battle." Um, in Britain, um, one of these um, um, forgotten battles from the Dark Ages kind of thing. Um, uh, so we, we we got that stuff out of the back of my car, set up and had a bit of a go. And um, I was um, young at that time, obviously, and I could see this attractive lady uh, wandering around, <laughs> around the show, which of course is um, not the attractive ladies uh, don't go to the show, but of course this is a single attractive lady with a notepad uh, wandering around the, the show and, and talking to different people. So I said to Guy, I said, well, look, the local newspapers are coming, let's, um, let's kind of put on a good show. And you know, um, I'm thinking maybe we could impress this nice lady as well, you know, and you do. And um, uh, and she, she came and chatted, and we 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 uh, is it like a you know, a lot of um, um, chat and stuff because we, we were even though we were an informal um, informal kind of a, a demo, we were trying to demonstrate. And of course, as I say, um, um, I uh, at that time he was he would be um, a university student studying um, studying junior archaeology. Um, so, so he he'd done the original research on on this battle. 
Um, so we were talking about that and and things and and um, she went around the rest of the show and then she came back to us at the end and she said, "Well, um, my name is whatever and I'm the searcher for the BBC. How do you fancy going on this show?" So <laughs> a bit later we we went on and um, and uh, did, uh, did this game on for the cameras um, in the studio and uh, and then of course it aired on television. Um, it was uh, it's 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 on the website somewhere because um, um, one of my one of my friends <laughs> videoed it, which I didn't know, and, um, and resurrected it and uh, changed it to kind of digital format because I think it was literally on a, um, a video tape. And, yeah. And so it's now on online somewhere with the, with the, a very young version of me and a very young version of my household <laughs> doing this game. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was quite it was quite I shall look that out. Yeah, it was quite an interesting experience because I mean it just it, it really did surprise me the power of television because I was literally getting recognised in supermarkets and things and for, for really probably five <laughs> probably five years afterwards or maybe even longer. I had people coming up to it shows and going, Weren't you that guy who did the you know, so so because you know, from a ten minute slot on a on a on a kind of like obscure television program, the amount of publicity was amazing. You know, I often wondered because um, um, it's a real shame that we, we we haven't got something like the um, um the one with um the, where they did a series of war games um, with um, Edward Woodward. Battleground. Battleground. Yeah, we haven't got something like that anymore. You know, because of course um, something like that, which is with the figures and things, would be I think a massive boon to the hobby if we could. Something to do that again <laughs> on on uh, national television again. I've uh, just just to um, prove what you've said. I've got the clip in front of me now on the computer. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's called Keen Types, nineteen eighty four. So uh, that goes back a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll put the link up in the show notes, uh, Nick, and people can check that out. <laughs> well, it, 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 I mean, it's it is very interesting because, of course, the thing is that um, that was was certainly um, a very um, interesting uh, thing to do from the point of view of kind of how difficult it is to do these these things. And um, I'm assuming you watch some of the um, uh, the online um, contributions that you can get nowadays. But I've also found like doing I've done some recently I've done some uh, videos of uh, games and playthroughs and things. So difficult. It's you know, it's just my my um, admiration for professional presenters or people who can do uh, presentations which, are, which come out as something like uh, professional. It's just overwhelming. <laughs> it's, yes, it's so yeah, it's difficult to do. No, yeah, it's yeah. hard work, isn't it? Yeah. So as I say, as I say, the um, uh, that's I got involved in 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 Great Northern Great Northern War, and and. Um, uh, and that's kind of led me into, into interest in, in Marlborough and and kind of the uh, in nowadays my kind of main period of interest is is the is from the uh, the Thirty Years War, Seven Years War kind of um, era. You know. uh, but I'm interested in, in, in any kind of history really. Um, um, it's kind of just interest in history. Um, really, if you know what I mean? I think most of us are, are, are general history geeks, aren't we? We might have our own. Um, chosen specialist subject, for instance, if we were ever to appear on Mastermind. But uh, I, I think most of us have got that broad brush approach, haven't we, that uh, and any sort of history, military or otherwise, uh, piques the interest. So was the Great North War Polymos set the first published rules that you 
Right. And that's the first published set that I did. Um, and um, uh, and uh, as I said, that kind I, I kind of, I never really, th- I, I, I did, um, the very first set that I, uh, that I ever did, which was, uh, in fact, was in a, um, a um, adaption of the Fire and Fury rules for American Civil War, uh, to the Franco-Prussian War and those uh, um, those kind of wars, the um, and that appeared in or Games Illustrated or one of the, one of the uh, one of the magazines in the nineteen nineties. Um, uh, but it never really occurred to me that anybody would be interested in kind of buying anything that uh, that um, the guy you know, done sort of thing. So uh, the feedback from the Polymers, uh, Great Northern War Rules, uh, kind of encouraged me to uh, to to uh, do more, you know, and um, uh, so uh, that kind of led on to kind of um, various other projects. Um, we we uh, the uh, the club had been involved in kind of doing a, a version of a set of rules called Loose Final American Scramble. Have you ever come across that? Oh yes, the Andy Callan rules. Yeah, uh, we, we're lucky enough to because uh, we, uh, we we have some of those Andy Callan rules. Um, um, up on our website uh, because we're uh, fans of those over the years, and he gave us permission to put them up there um, um, as a kind of digital um, archive and stuff. So we, we started to look at doing um, a version of those to do the English Civil War and uh, that kind of era. So that was the next one, um, and um, and another set, uh, um, a kind of standalone set uh, based on Fire and Fury was also done. Uh, but then, of course, the um, uh, all of this and my, and my kind of growing interest in the period of the Great Northern War and Marbian Wars, um, I was looking for a set of rules that, that, that could allow you to do um, big battles, uh, big historic battles, fairly easily, and that that brought me to the uh, to the Twilight idea, um, which in fact I had quite a bit of. Um, messing around with and tweaking with uh, beforehand. Um, the um, it was uh, I think it was the the, the earliest 1992-93 maybe. Uh, there's somebody called um, Stephen Simpson who used to write a lot in those days. Um, I'm not sure who he was or what happened to him, but he he did a, a set of rules uh, which was called like simple 18th century rules or something which had the germ of the idea for the uh, for, for, uh, for what became Twilight um, and uh, I messed around with that at the time um, the, the kind of key concept was the idea that you don't have any actual um, firing or melee or this kind of thing, it's all morale tests and the morale tests uh, determine what the unit is going to do um, so I messed around with that in the I guess 93, 94, that kind of time, and then kind of plotted. Um, and then um, I, I don't know when exactly, but there's another guy called Stephen Thomas. Uh, he did um, uh, work that into that idea up into an actual set, which I think was only available online, which was called um, Pilot of the Sun King. Um, um, and then that, in, in turn, was adapted by another guy called Andrew Colby. Uh, uh, set which was published by the Parking Shot Society in I think 2003-2004 uh, uh, kind of discovered rediscovered that again um, and started uh, messing around with it myself at that point. Um, so originally it was, we were using this 
first edition of the Clark Dunking rules. Um, but um, I think, though, they, they had to, uh, some good ideas. They weren't necessarily um, very focused on uh, the period. They were more of a generic uh, set of rules that you could yeah. to do whatever you wanted to do. You know? um, so, so, um, so basically, um, um, I, I decided to, to do a, um, an updated version of these rules with a lot of new ideas and some ideas that I've been had in other uh, sets of rules, the Polymer and um, other ones, and also um, back in the 1990s. Um, and uh, luckily, the Parkinson Society said they'd be interested in publishing them and uh, look back, as they say, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> those, um, I certainly remember those. Uh, I think it was Stephen Simpson, wasn't it? The wrote the simple 18th century rules. They were in War Games Illustrated, certainly, I think. Yeah. Right? early 90s um and from the reading and research i've done around your own rules the twilight series uh there's definitely this unique selling point isn't there that there's a much reduced turn in that there's no firing but everything is based around the morale of the troops and 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 correct me if i'm wrong but it's on the assumption that that once the troops are in range of each other with musketry, it's assumed that the firing is going on. You, you're not that isn't broken down into a separate mechanic where you need to roll dice for for hits. It's assumed that that musketry duel is ongoing, and it's down to the morale of the troops which one will break first. Well, it's I think it's kind of it's kind of more than that in a way because the, the, the basic the basic idea is, uh, or certainly the basic idea as as I understand it is that. Uh, you take you take a morale test when you're in a position of danger. That can be that somebody's shooting at you. That can also be that uh, if you're in melee. But it can also be, for example, um, uh, in 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 uh, most of the periods that rules currently cover, uh, having cavalry hanging around. Uh, if you're infantry and having cavalry hanging around, and you've got an open flank, that's a dangerous position. You know, uh, so so it's 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 called more generally. We're in a dangerous situation where something can happen, uh, and so you take a morale test then, um, and um, and there isn't any actual uh, firing phase and, and uh, melee phase. It's just that, of course, um, if you're being shot at by somebody who's particularly good at, at firing, you're liable to take a minus two morale test. And similarly, if you're in, in uh, if you've been charged by somebody who's particularly good at charging. Uh, um, Particularly effective at charging, then you're going to take a minus test. That, on the other hand, if you're you know in cover or you're high quality troops, then you'll get positive morale test. So, so the kind of the tactical factors come into the adjustment of the morale test, not being shot at by ten figures or twenty figures. Um, and that, of course, means that you uh, you don't it doesn't make any difference. Um, yeah, there's no kind of um, uh, you don't take any figures off. Um, it's all it's all uh, a unit is a unit, and, and it doesn't make any difference um, how that's represented. Which of course is um, is good. Well, you can use it in any scale, but it's particularly good considering um, we're talking on a six millimeter um, uh, discussion uh, for six millimeter and, and smaller scale figures because you can use any number of figures you like of any scale, and it makes no difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what was the first set in the Twilight series? Am I correct in thinking there's three sets now that you've got with more? Yeah, there's currently world? three. So the first one was um, part of the Sun King, um, and that covers uh, the period uh, approximately 1680 to 
2020. It, it, it varies a little bit because it depends which wars um, um, you're talking about because some of, them, some of the wars were kind of uh, more advanced than others and whatever. Uh, but essentially, those, the, that kind of period, which is the um, what's called the War of the League of Augsburg, which is um, the Battle of Boyne and um, the, the war um, in Europe um, with um, um, William III. Uh, it also covers um, the um, Great Northern War and Marlborough's War. Um, and then the other main thing it covers is assorted Ottoman um, um, conflict, the uh, Vienna, uh, and also Eugene Savoy's campaigns later on. And as I said, the, the, um, so the original version of the rules um, um, uh, had, uh, I kept more or less to, 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 to the, um, the rule, the uh, the original um, rules, but I, I put a lot of extra things in to do with um, uh, getting the character of the, of the uh, period uh, right and and generalship really. I, mean, I, I think that there's um, um, a lot of a lot, in a lot of rule sets, you know, you're not encouraged to to, to do what real generals uh, did. So so you'll find that in the the in all of the these series of rules, you need to have Two lines at the minimum. Uh, you should have a reserve. Uh, you need to start thinking like a general. You know, um, you, you need to kind of like pay the odds in a way and, and think, think uh, about the bigger picture, not just worry about whether your A class super duper groups are doing something. Um, you know, in that fighting over there sort of thing. You know, it's 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 a, you need to look at the bigger picture. Um, and hopefully, I think that, that it works uh, at doing that. Um, so. Um, so th those those are the set of rules, for example, that we've done uh, all of the games with Peer. Because um, all of the games with Peer we've played, uh, but not necessarily played them at shows, if you know what I mean. We yeah. play them at home. Um, and and you can do um, even the bigger games of, of, of that kind of era, like uh, Benny Mamelies, those kind of battles, uh, you can do with one or two players aside in a normal club um, afternoon or evening uh, of play. And uh, at least in theory, you can you can use um, as few figures as you like because basically uh, you, you decide what's a, what is a unit, and and the unit uh, uh, can be any size uh, any size, uh, size you want, and they're all the um, the distances and the ranges and that kind of thing are based on whatever um, base width you pick for the unit. So it's flexible. So if you want, if you want to have like a big unit you, uh, uh, with lots of figures, you can do, and you'll need a table. But on the other hand, if you want to have um, a relatively small unit, um, you can get away with a small table. Uh, so I mean, I think because you, you had um, um, John um, Whirlwind, um, I don't know which one's other name. Yes, John. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. he 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 does he plays um, uh, the system and uses uh, small numbers of bases on a very small table. You know, but of course, yeah. Uh, yeah there does the opposite. He uses very big units, <laughs> a very yeah. big table, yes. and everything in between. Yeah. Um, Sixty foot long sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was the first set, um, and um, uh, and uh, and then of course we uh, uh, as cut, cut, I'm, I've always been quite keen to try and sort of uh, to do as much history as possible, and so we uh, as a, a companion to that we've tried to. To do um, scenario books which cover uh, the battles of the period, and in particular, trying to do a, a variety of battles in the period, not just the same ones that you see over and over again. Uh, because, of course, uh, one of the benefits of doing this fire 
uh, the Parkinshot Society is that called, yeah, I could call on the expertise of the uh, members of the Parkinshot Society um, that help with um, order of battle and, and this kind of stuff. So uh, we've done that kind of thing. So that was the first set. Um, and then uh, following on from that, uh, the product um, of Brine Ride, which covers the period uh, from the Thirty Years' War up until uh, where the Sun King starts. And as I say, again, there's some kind of overlap in the middle, depending on where you want to do it. So that covers the Civil War, the Thirty Years' War, uh, and uh, the uh, post-Thirty Years' War battle, uh, wars, like the, uh, the Dutch Wars and uh, the Scanian Wars and those kind of things. And also it's going to cover um, the Moscovites and the Poles and uh, the Deluge. You know, the, have you heard of the Deluge? I haven't heard of the Deluge, no. Uh, the, uh, that's going back to what we were talking about before. That's a, a very um, important uh, part of uh, Polish history. It's, it's when they, uh, it's a deluge, as in they got uh, um, attacked by everybody, all their neighbours uh, uh, at the same time. And there was a massive crisis in Poland. They, they fought off um, the Swedes and the Prussians and the um, Muscovites and the Turks and the Cossacks and Tartar, everybody, anybody in the area attacked them and they fought them off. So, uh, it's quite an interesting series of battles. Crikey, they must have had the backs of the wall then. <laughs> yeah, it was all sort of, I mean, it, it, you know, it was their kind of, their kind of like Kirk moment or something like that, I guess. They kind of go, or they're kind of like, um, um, uh, moment, something like the other, you know, backs against the wall and sort of managed to beat everybody. So, of course, obviously, sort of a massive, massively important hero in, in Polish history and, and Eastern European. And of course, it, it's a period which, 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 it features, you know, the Ottomans are also pop- always popular, Cossacks and Tartars, and uh, the Moscovites have got uh, the Renaissance troop clubs um, uh, that are going and stuff. Uh, whereas the uh, the Swedes and the and the um, uh, imperialists and there's other people out there, they're kind of they're kind of something like thirties war, thirty years war type. So you can use those kind of figures as well. So, so um, that was the second one, um, and um, uh, the uh, the the most recent uh, uh, publication uh, from um, from the Pike and Shot Society is um, another uh, set of um, scenarios to the Thirty Years' War um, by uh, my colleague Ian Stanford, um, who's, uh, who used to be in the um, Pike and Shot Committee as well. Um, uh, so there's more of those on the way. Uh, I think he's working on one uh, another one for um, for the the, the, the wars of the 1650s, 1660s, 1670s, that kind of time period, and I'm doing one um, very slowly on the uh, on the on the Eastern European ones. <laughs> uh, the, main, the main problem is, is play testing. I'm having, it's, it's with with the crisis. I'm, you know, I don't like to um, uh, to publish any scenarios without some kind of play testing, but of course that's been difficult here for obvious reasons too. Um, and then the third set, which came out, uh, but this is actually published by uh, by by me, by a company I set up, uh, because of course it's for a period which isn't covered by the Parkinson Society, uh, and that covers the the period thinking um, though it's the 1730s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and so of course obviously the, the two main wars of that are the war of the Austrian succession uh, with um, um, Pontenoy and um, and that kind of um, yeah. and and then the Seven Years' War. Uh, the um, uh, that's called Triumph of the Soldier Kings uh, because of course obviously he's got a uh, the Great in it, and people often say, well, um, why is it called Kings? And that's because of course um, the King George of uh, England fought at at uh, uh, and um, uh, fought in the War of Succession, and also the Sardinian King fought in uh, 
in their wars in Italy. Um, so that's why it's sold to kings. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, the Seven Years' War itself. Um, uh, so that's that's the the the, uh, the latest set, and um, I think that that's been. Um, I think that you know, I mean, the, the that's been fairly well received. Uh, but of course, it's also suffered a bit from the um, uh, COVID crisis because it came out about. I think a week before the the lot, <laughs> so right, yeah. not many people have had too much chance to actually play it. But uh, I think it, it 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 works. The system works. I think. Um, and again, the idea is to do do large battles with relative ease. Yes. The um, so each uh, subsequent set from that original uh, version. Is that an update of the mechan- mechanics, or would people recognise very much that core skeleton? So, some of the things, some of the things remain the same. I mean, the basic principle, uh, because you you have the idea of the uh, 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 no shooting and, uh, and no combat. You have the uh, morale test, um, and then uh, um, there's another kind of key mechanism is the idea of an action test. And an action test is basically um, when you're trying to do something which is not straightforward, you need to take one or more action tests to complete it. Uh, so, for example, um, um, you, you can wheel as much as you uh, for most of the time period. You can wheel as much as you like, but each time you wheel, you take an action test, which is you roll d6. The standard action test is roll d6, and if you score a one or two, then you stop. Um, so, obviously, the more complicated you make your move. More likely you are to just um, stop halfway through it, uh, and then similarly, um, uh, usually getting, for example, getting over terrain and stuff is one or more action tests, which tends to mean that you know, uh, particularly if there's a, a bunch of units trying to get over, uh, some will succeed and some won't. And if there's more than one action test, if you're not very careful, you end up with people scattered all over the place as they attempt to get over um, the the, uh, the obstacle of whatever kind it is, you know. Um, but then what I've tried to do is uh, I've tried to to to, uh, to make the uh, the actual um, uh, the the rest of the rules uh, more appropriate to the actual period. So so obviously you have um, uh, different um, um, kinds of, of uh, unit types um, in in the different set. I've tried to put in things which you might. Um, uh, in, we encourage the different uh, armies to do what they are supposed to do. So, so for example, in the Seven Years' War uh, time, uh, the Prussians get get an advantage uh, firing uh, um, over other people, um, but, uh, uh, which is essentially they can re-roll one of the dice uh, when their uh, uh, when their opponent is taking a a, uh, a morale test. Whereas uh, British troops uh, and um, for the matter so, some of the other um, uh, troops in the uh, in the uh, British army in the Second War, uh, they're better at firing than the Prussians. It's just the Prussians get this because they're doing this kind of rapid fire and just basically you know um, um, suppressing them the opponents with a with a, a barrage of fire. You know? uh, so the individual factors uh, within the the the, uh, the different sets. Are different, and then also there are, there were kind of different things which apply. So I mean, for example, um, in the early set, uh, suit and um, and uh, uh, what happens with that is a lot more important because, of course, the armies in the English War and Thirty Years' War are a lot less controllable than they were later on. You can still get that a little bit later on, but uh, doing something is is a lot more uh, of a factor. And um, 
you will find that um, if you're playing the the uh, English Civil War and Thirty Years' War version, the fine right, that your cavalry rapidly um, disintegrates onto autopilot because, of course, you know um, they will contact somebody loses and uh, and the, the people that lose fall back behind their supporting units, which is why you should have supporting units. Uh, then the other units then sue and 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 and. And crash into the supporting unit. Uh, suit in all of this is is a negative thing. It, it's an uncontrolled suit, not a controlled suit like you get in most worlds. So they they're kind of bundled into the into the supporting line and supported. So they then lose and they fall back and then the, the former supporting line chases after them. And so basically they go. You know, they, it ends in a complete mess with all the cavalry going backwards and forwards all the place, which kind of feels <laughs> right for the period. <laughs> So, 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 as I say, I mean, the, the emphasis is very much trying, trying to kind of, you know, um, um, trying to get, trying to give a character to the different armies and trying to get them to do uh, what they actually did, and and so, and so, you know, the uh, you won't normally find people, who, uh, uh, players, who, experienced players, who will, who will not fight in two lines with a reserve. The only people that need to do that are are people like maybe the Swedes in the Great Northern War or the Prussians in in the Seven Years' War when they're so outnumbered that they can't afford to do that and keep, and keep a front because you you need to keep a front uh, and guard your flank because of course if if somebody gets around the flank uh, that can be a terrible time. Yeah. So, 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 yeah, so, so, yeah, I mean, this, it, it's like any series of rules, I guess. I mean, I guess any series of rules, um, I mean, and of course, they are, because they are called Twilight of something, that they're suggesting that there, there is a definite kind of like um, overlap between the different ones. Uh, each of them has got uh, different ideas, and each of them, I hope, kind of, so when, I, when I started this, when I, when I started with the Sun King uh, rules, I had got a kind of sequence in mind. So hopefully, you know, the sequence between the rules should make sense from the point of view of history, if that, if that is understandable. You know, so you should be able to see why things are like they are in the Sun King rules by looking at what, what happens in the Divine Right rules, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, as you mentioned there, as you were describing it, you've got those that supporting material as well with uh, various numbers of scenario books uh cover, covering the battles and you like you like to play test them well that's that's interesting because i'm not quite so sure that everybody does that uh i think i think some i've i've certainly read some scenarios for other sets of rules where you think i'm not entirely sure this was play testing through yeah i, I think i mean it, it must be said i mean in defense of, of those guys and and also myself you know it is incredible uh, when you're writing rules and 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 scenarios, uh, how you get blind to what you've actually written, you know, um, yes. you cannot uh, underestimate the value of, of a decent uh, reader. And I'd like to, I mean, uh, I've got quite a few, but uh, John Burns, uh, who's in my is a very good one uh, for me. But you 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 write you you write these things down, and you just you just read what you think you've written, not what on the piece of paper and the number of times you've done that it's just incredible you know uh, so but yes i mean i think i mean yeah i mean i if, it, if it's if it's a relatively straightforward because obviously the, the battles come in different types if it's a relatively straightforward battle uh, like for example fraustat is is an example we, we put out earlier 
you know, the the uh, the Sax in the Kreistata, uh, if people you know the Saxons and the, and the Russians are in a defensive position, and the Swedes are basically on table facing them and coming forward to attack them. Nice and straightforward. You know, it's a good idea to play through one of those just to kind of uh, check that you've got the, the, the those types of things right. Yeah, one playthrough, particularly particularly uh, you know if it's a system that we've uh, we, we've used a lot of, should be fine. Of course, Poltava is completely different. In Poltava, you've got the Swedish army in one corner of the battlefield, and then the things scattered all over the place. There's a, a, a series of, of readouts across the middle of the table, all kinds of weird things going on. You have to play test that, and you have to play test that, uh, you know, quite a few times to give you some kind of idea what you've done actually makes sense and of course anything that involves um some of the some of the army being being uh, inactive for a time or flank march or anything which is not a straightforward fight you really need to do some playtesting otherwise it just become a complete uh, <laughs> complete mess <laughs> and of course some of the playtests are a complete mess you know, uh, because of course you don't always get it right first time yeah but i'm sure those are the ones that you learn the most from aren't they yeah kind of yeah kind of i mean you do get you do as you, you with anything, you 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 um, everybody will know uh, who's listening to this that you know the first time you play a set of rules, you're not too sure what you're doing. But of course, after you've played a few times, you think you've got more of a kind of idea of the flow, and and of course, the same um, as a scenario writer, you get more of an idea of how something is going to play out. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean to say that you you. I mean, the number of times I've kind of, uh, when I've actually sort of sat down or somebody said to me, <laughs> you know, what does this thing here mean that you've written in, in the rules or in things so like that? My God, did I actually write that? <laughs> you think, why have I said that? It's just, you know, it's strange. <laughs> I've seen you you're quite active on the Facebook group. Um, recently, There's there's been quite a deluge of questions uh, regarding various pieces. Uh, and you, you're quite active on there, aren't you, to support the rules? Yeah, well, I, 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 I tried to, because the thing is that you think if you write rules and things, you must be available as much as possible, particularly nowadays, to try and help people out uh, with, with doing them, because because basically um, any set of rules is, is, is going to be gapped. I mean, we, we've probably all played in, in the games where kind of like, the situation happens and there just isn't a rule for it, you know? um, and you have to kind of come up with some kind of um, some kind of ruling at the time, you know. Um, and but of course now with technology, we do have the ability to to fairly easily contact people as long as people are available, you know. And um, I also, I mean, I also on, on Facebook and other forums try my best to uh, to um, answer kind of historical. Uh, questions um, if I happen to know the answer <laughs> uh, because again I think it's it's um, it is the whole, the whole of the internet is uh, let's face it I mean you probably like me remember uh, from before the internet and the internet has completely transformed obviously life but gaming and history you know, incredibly you know it's uh, such a such a useful tool to be used you know? yeah absolutely um, so there's the three sets out at the moment. Have you got any more planned in the Twilight of series? Yeah, well, at the moment, uh, um, I'm kind of working on um, more scenarios uh, for the Seven Years War and, um, um, and stuff. So that's the main priority. Um, and as I said, we've got uh, the, the 
uh, some more scenario books for the Divine Right Wars, which hopefully will be out sometime next year. But again, that's quite slow. Um, but uh, I've been focusing on trying to do a set of Napoleonic uh, rules for the uh, Twilight series. Um, it's proved quite challenging, I must it must be said. I mean, again, partly the problem is that, that, um, that um, not having the opportunity to play test ideas. Um, and also, I've got kind of diverted into um, uh, the French Revolutionary Wars. I don't know, is that a period you know anything about, the French Revolutionary Wars? Uh, it's, it's not a strong point, I have to say. Uh, well, I think, but see, I was the same, and I kind of uh, thought, oh, yeah, well, it's just going to be Napoleonics with, with, with like, you know, some, some different factors and things, but I've been convinced by various people that it's not completely different. Uh, uh, that would be my assumption. It's just early Napoleonics. Yeah, well, that's it. Well, uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much convinced now that he's, you know, so, so, so I'm kind of trying to avoid getting diverted into doing a, a, a separate set uh, covering the French Revolution War, but I think probably without any success. But uh, but uh, I think I think uh, we've got some good ideas on the, the uh, Napoleonic set. Uh, but uh, we need, we need playtesting, and of course the thing is, that, you know, while all the chaos is going on, I think it's going to be you know, whether or not we're going to get the, the ability to do that. I don't know. Is is, is what it boils down to. Um, so so hopefully that should be the next um, standalone set will will be out, which will be the Napoleonic set, possibly um, with the Revolution War set. Um, at the same time, or, or there's a possibility that might be an, um, uh, an amendment to either the Napoleonic set or the Seven Days War set rather than a standalone set. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, I, because the the, uh, the other thing that I'd really want to do is I want to go um, uh, down downscale to like a more kind of um, um, standard battle. You know, so so at the moment. Uh, all of the Twilight series is aimed at doing large battles. So you, so you do the whole of Battle of Waterloo if you're doing the Phoenix, and you do the whole of of, um, of the uh, Battle of Marston Moor if you're doing this war, that kind of thing. Um, doing uh, more, you know, so obviously that's involved with multiple um, uh, uh, battalions or units and things. Do a more kind of... Um, um, Maybe more typical kind of kind of game that gamers play, where 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 the the in command of something like um, a division, maybe you know, sort of ten, fifteen battalions of infantry and some supporting stuff, that kind of um, stuff. So, uh, so so at some point, I would like to try and do, and again, I've got some rough ideas to do with this, but to try and do a, a version of it'll be for the something um, here, the. Um, uh, Great Northern War and uh, Malbian Times, where uh, the player is in charge of a wing of the army or, or a, a small group of, 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 you know, a relatively small group of real historical units, say, you know, 10, 15, 20 historical units, something along that line, so uh, you know, 10, 10, 15, 20 aliens or covering squadrons or whatever, that kind of thing. Will that be... Um a derivative then of the twilight system or are you talking about completely new mechanics for that scale of game well, kind of i mean i, I want to I, I, I want to keep some of the core stuff which is the 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 morale test idea and the action test idea um but it would be a lot more kind of um um uh, tactical for obvious reasons if you're going to do the battle of waterloo in, in kind of three or four hours uh, or, or the Battle of um, um, Blenheim or Master Moor in three or four hours, then obviously you cannot be too tactical because you'll never get it done, you know, it, um, in time, um, uh, in, the, in that kind of time. So, so 
to do something which is more, which is a lower level, you can get to do more tactics. I want to try and get, in particular, the um, uh, the idea of the firefight. I, I think quite often you know, the the kind of the mechanics of the kind of the uh, of when when the when the units actually get engaged, what actually happens then? You know, if you know what I mean. Um, um, so, 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 yes, there'll be some, some, um, use of the same mechanics as the Twilight series. Um, and, uh, but it will be, I think, significantly different to the, uh, to the larger scale one, S- simply because of, you know, you, 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 the, um, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the Twilight series, um, each of the units is, uh, as a, a standard, uh, 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 size. So for, so, for example, the Sun King or uh, the uh, infantry unit is about 2,000 men. And yeah. the assumption is that that is either, uh, you know, say it could be like two, two battalions of about 1,000 strong or it could be, uh, four battalions of about 500 men strong. Of course, in this, uh, this, this new idea I'm going to do, the units will vary in size and um, there will be a lot more to do with kind of. Um, well, the, the, the basic nitty gritty of, of being on a battle, uh, to be honest, I think that uh, uh, the um, a lot a lot of, of war game uh, will kind of you know uh, they're kind of they're uh, very good on the game aspect, but not so good on the history aspect. So, so I think hopefully this will be kind of like uh, um, you, you'll feel more it'll feel more like you're actually being something historical. Well, yeah. like, uh, uh, any good as game is a different matter, but uh, <laughs> well. <laughs> The big question, I guess. <laughs> it sounds fascinating, I have to say, Nick. And uh, as a fan of the grand tactical scale, which is what the Twilight of series is, isn't it? Where you've, you you're commanding core, uh, multiple cores, or you're, you're uh, refighting the whole of a battle. Uh, when you move down to that tactical, more tactical scale, where, as you say, it's a wing or um, ten, ten or twelve battalions, then. You get more granular. You're zooming in into the action, aren't you? It's it's getting far more granular, and you need that granular, um, those granular mechanics to represent the thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, and as I say, because I kind of think that you know the, the for, for me for me uh, I've always kind of thought it in, in in gaming. One thing which is I think a great part of gaming is that different people enjoy different aspects of it so for some people uh the game itself you know whether as a competition or as just fun is the most important thing they don't really mind too much about what you know the, uh, anything else other people the look of it is important and, you know they either the terrain or having nice figures and stuff and then for other people uh, history is the most important for me i've always uh, uh thought history is more important and so the idea with this is to try and kind of see if i can get uh, the actual historical mechanics of a kind of firefight, where where it's about, uh, do I, you know, you, you move into range, or not the firefight, but a close, a close range action, something where you move into range and you kind of uh, do I want to stand here and blaze away at him at long range, or do I want to advance? And if I advance, well, you know, first of all, can I advance? And if I do advance, then uh, it's a kind of like a game of chicken, you know. So so you know, the attacker advances if, if they can. If they advance, then the opposing side must take a morale test to basically stand there. And if they do stand, then the attacker needs to take a morale test to kind of keep going. Uh, so this kind of like put them forwards because you know, I mean, I, I think most most gamers realise that there's there's very few actual 
um, um, melees as such uh, in in, uh, in in real warfare, particularly well in in the kind of periods that we're talking about, and the same really for cavalry. So 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 you know uh, what I have in mind is you won't very often get cavalry melees. Uh, what will normally happen will be is one side or the other will chicken out and run yeah. away before you can get anywhere near each other. So so any kind of any kind of melee will basically uh, the victor side getting um, behind the one who's running away and hacking them in the back, you know, which I think is probably happened um, in the vast majority of cases, at least. Yes, it's that who blinks first thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think. yeah. yeah. Um, who uh, who can uh, stomach that uh, standing in, in the face of the enemy with the threat of uh, uh, utter disaster <laughs> ahead of? Them, I, guess. I think it's a trade-off because, of course, the thing is, you know. It's 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 kind of like it's relatively easy uh, at first for the attacker to move into range, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, for them to do that, and then it is relatively easy for the defender to stand when they do that. But then for the attacker to continue moving into in, uh, forward, uh, that's more difficult. Uh, if they succeed in doing that, then that makes it more difficult for the defender to to uh, to stay stand and. So, so it's it's kind of going backwards and forwards, and and, and you know, one side or the other is most likely to to, to back down um, at some point. But of course, with infantry, that could easily end up with just a stalemate where you just stand there at twenty yards or something and blaze away at each other for the rest of the, the afternoon. But then, of course, your job as commander is to try and get them going again, or pull them back, or whatever whatever might be the uh, the appropriate thing in your opinion. Yeah? Yes, you as the commander, you need some resolution to that, don't you? You don't want them just stand there all afternoon and not gaining any ground. It's, 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 a, it's a different kind of thing that you're doing in, in in that kind of game to something where we're in charge of a a, a core whole army at the battle of such and such. That's, that's uh, uh, one kind of command. But if you're in charge of a group of some kind of something which would be something like a division, it's a different kind of command and a different kind of uh, decisions and things you need to do. You know. And I think traditionally uh, rules perhaps have got a bit confused on that aspect, haven't they? That they're not really quite sure what they're representing and what is the player, who who is the player on the battlefield. Yeah. Uh, so it, as as the, an army commander um, at um, Poltava, for instance, um, once you've set your plans in motion and sent it out to your, your wing commanders or your, your sub-commanders, um, it's pretty much it's pretty difficult to pull the thing round, isn't it? And you're relying on the speed of a horse that the messenger's riding if you need to change orders. But once the thing's in motion, it's it's a pretty difficult thing to stop, isn't it? Whereas if you're that if you're that wing commander or that that sub commander, and you've got say ten battalions under you, then that you've got a lot more control. Of of that action and your influence over those units immediately in front of you is is so much easier. I, I say easier. I've never been a commander of ten battalions in a battle, but I imagine the the lines of communication are are a bit easier than if you were that overall commander. And I think sometimes rules writers his, uh, traditionally have, have got a bit confused over what they're trying to actually represent. I think. I mean, I think that you, that's, that's that's absolutely correct. And the thing is, as well, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a great believer in trying to sort of put in 
not not just. I mean, obviously, obviously, because one of the problems with when we're talking about history is that, of course, your version of history or or, or historical tactics or whatever is like to be my version of history or historical tactics. But I think, generally speaking, in in historical wargaming, this this uh, this the kind of basics are ignored so often. I mean, I, I'm talking here about like, for example, uh, the whole concept of having a point system to balance the armies. Well. Historical battles are not between balanced armies. You know, they are always between. You know, uh, uh, one side one side feels they've got the advantage, and, and so they are attacking, and the other side feels they've got some kind of disadvantage, so they are defending, or at least in the vast majority of cases. So, um, I think you know, in 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 uh, in most sets of rules, the default idea is you have two balanced armies fighting on some generic. Um, uh, terrain often randomised in some way, uh, and they kind of both charge uh, forward and attack each other. That's not what history tells us is, an, is a normal kind of battle. History tells us that one side is one side has maybe kind of say three or four hundred points in put it in points term. The other side has say two hundred points. They are in some kind of defensive position. They've got some river or hill or um, maybe fortifications or something to defend, and the other side comes and attacks them. You know, um, so, so I'm a great believer in trying to in trying to make that standard game that it, it is you not to have a balanced game. You're going to have an unbalanced game where one side is attacking, the other side is defending, uh, and um, and uh, the, the, the side that is defending has something to defend. But many games just don't do that. You just have this twenty points aside on generic domain. Yes, well, really. The odds are that you're just going to fight to a standstill because you've got identically strengthed forces across generic bland terrain. Then odds are that it's just going to be a standstill, isn't it? Or some, some vagary of dice that will then decide the outcome. Yeah. I think. I mean, I think it's. I, I, I'm not a great, a great one in you know, in kind of like um, um, tutorial about these kind of things. And of course, obviously, many people enjoy that kind of thing. But I just don't think it's very much to do with with history, if you know what I mean. It, you know, it's it's a gaming thing, not a historical thing, if you if you know what I mean. Yeah, and and we've met, we've used the phrase uh, broad church uh, earlier in the interview, and and absolutely, I've and I've played I've played those games where it's been equal points and uh, fairly generic terrain, and I've enjoyed the games. But as you say, that's the game aspect is the is of paramount importance in those con- in yeah. that context. And I, and I too play a lot of those games and of course the thing is I, I'm, I'm guessing the same as you I, I play those kind of games because uh, I'm lucky enough to have a, a fantastic bunch of people I play with uh, and I want to play with them and play uh, join in their games and stuff but I'm not sure they're necessarily I mean a lot I think of them as kind of even though the games themselves are supposed to be historical I think they're kind of pseudo historical or kind of um i don't know how you, you describe it but they're, they're kind of they're not not necessarily something i'd necessarily run myself playing them with a good bunch of people um on a sunday afternoon is always fun <laughs> absolutely um we seem to have wandered off there nick and warm me about, but that that's what's great about this podcast i love i love it when we go yeah, i'm afraid i have a bit of a wander when it comes to conversation here. you're a, you're an actual absolute natural for this podcast nick you're a perfect fit for it <laughs> i hope they're still awake <laughs> <laughs> well they can fast forward through it I yeah, yeah i suppose so. I'll, I'll give you a refund <laughs> um so 
we've we've talked about the Twilight Off series and, and what's coming uh, with that down the road. Uh, COVID crisis pending. Um, but as well as writing War Games rules, you're also an author, aren't you, Nick? Yeah, that's right. I mean, as I think I mentioned already, I, I sort of, um, I, uh, um, I, I, I've been, I've done a few bits and pieces, um, other bits and pieces, but I've, I've written, I think, five, four or five books now, um, all on kind of um, uh, the um, Great North War and Malkin era. Uh, which has been my main area of study uh, lately. Um, and as I said, I kind of stumbled into that um, um, in a, a, a in a kind of sense with the the, the book on the Poltava campaign. Yeah. Um, and in recent years, um, I mean, I, I, I generally because I, I because of the things I'm interested in, I find uh, information which is. Uh, which is um, unusual, or it's unusual in the English-speaking world, or and/or I think possibly useful to other people. And so I write books which tell people that. Um, sadly, they don't tend to be the world's greatest read, but they are uh, generally uh, fairly good for information. Yeah. And so, for example, uh, the last couple I've done uh, are about um, a couple about the. Uh, uh, Malburian era uh, war in the peninsula, in the Spanish peninsula. So that's actually the first peninsula war, which involves um, uh, and their allies fighting the uh, French and Spanish in Portugal and in Catalonia uh, in the uh, War of Spanish Succession. And um, and also a book on the Russo uh, Ottoman War of 1711, <laughs> which is uh, I always I always joke and say it's the best book um, uh, in English on the war because it's the only book in English on the war. Uh, but uh, but uh, but uh, that, that's that's maybe a good example of of, of where I tend to come from because I stumble on uh, because of my interest in the Great Northern War I stumble on uh, some information about the Turks in particular um, because one of the things that makes the War of 1711 uh, quite unusual is the Turks have Charles the Twelfth of Sweden uh, is with them, and also some Swedish um, officers are fighting with the Ottomans in 1711 against, of course, Peter the Great's Russians. Uh, and also because he's king of um, Sweden, there's the ambassadors there, and um, uh, various other Westerners are there fighting with the Ottomans. So uh, information on the actual Ottoman army from that period is pretty difficult to find, uh, but. That campaign, we have people who are basically non-Ottomans who are writing about it, so we have uh, accessible sources about it, um, and um, that's why I did this book because it, it provides some useful information, I think, on the, uh, the Ottoman army of that kind of period, uh, which is quite difficult to find. Yeah. Um, and uh, the obscure stuff, I'm afraid, but <laughs> but it's something I found interesting, and luckily, um, I did somebody else at <laughs> <to, to> Hellion. <laughs> Um, so is, is that where they're available through Hellion? Is it? Um, you know, a, a mixture, really. Um, um, I, I, I did uh, one for Caliber Books, uh, one for a very good friend of mine uh, who's Swedish, um, um, but now publishing on that's available from on military matters in the states. Um, and then I think the rest, are Hellion, yeah, I think. I've done a few bits and pieces as well of kind of like um. Uh, I've got sort of chapters in various of the books and, and articles and bits and pieces and things. Um, at the moment, I'm working on on kind of like um, uh, well, when I say I'm working, it's going incredibly slowly. I just don't seem to be able to get a kind of um, um, focus on it. But it's essentially it's a book uh, which is kind of like looking at 
the realities of um, of, of warfare. Uh, it, it focuses on the period of the Great Northern War and, Mar- and Marlborough's time. Uh, it's looking at uh, the period uh, before then, after then, see where it comes from or, or the reality behind it. So there's a lot of stuff, uh, for example, um, which is kind of, um, a, I guess, myth-busting. You know, so so um, a lot of people kind of think that... Um, uh, that there are no pikes in in uh, in Marlborough's time. Uh, so there's information about that and and, and um, the continued use of pikes. Um, there's a lot of things about like platoon firing, for example, in, in that kind of era. So that, um, I'm talking about platoon firing and how effective it was, uh, and these kind of things. You know, the kind of the, um, um, the kind of um, myths and misconceptions, I guess, of, of kind of of Marlborough's era. Uh, and uh, and and I've, um, I've tried to kind of put where they actually come from, you know. Um, so um, uh, so it's about uh, the Thirty uh, Years' War, English Civil War, and also the Seven Years' War as well. Uh, and then from all that, um, uh, I've then done uh, a look at the the kind of classic uh, battles of that uh, period uh, using the ideas. That, that I've I've been uh, arguing in, in favour of so um this like you know, um uh, look at uh, the, the, for example the Battle of Blenheim and uh, how I think it actually went as opposed to kind of some of the misconceptions uh, that around the event. Uh, Blenheim Blenheim is uh, is one of my favourite uh, battles I guess if you look, if you can have a favourite battle, <laughs> but no it's, it's uh, yeah my, the. Marlborough, his career has has always been a fascination. Yeah, so so so, so I mean, uh, I mean, uh, you you will probably know, but I mean, there's a fa- probably the, one of the most famous uh, incidents uh, about him is is um, uh, the, the what happened to the French cavalry, in particular, a unit called the Gendarmerie, which is uh, one of the elite um, French cavalry regiment at uh, at that time. You know. Have you come across that? Yes, yes, yes. It's um, in fact, I've, I've got a unit of them painted. <laughs> well, this, it's a very famous incident in in the in the battle, uh, which is it is recounted in all the history books. And uh, and, and basically, for example, in in this book I'm writing, um, so, there's, so there's a version of it which 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 is kind of used by uh, most of the writers in, in English about that battle, uh, which is uh, essentially that the uh, gendarmerie. Um, um, they cut off their fire pistols and they get routed off by um, eight, eight squadrons of gendarmerie get routed off by five run-of-the-mill British squadrons. Um, essentially, that's that's the, the sort of it. Uh, so I've been um, I've been uh, the section I'm I'm doing about that. It looks at this. There's six versions of that story. One of which is done by uh, uh, is, is uh, one of which is, is the basis of that, and there's some bits of a second one. Basically, how reliable uh, all of that that general picture is of what actually happened, um, and so and basically my conclusion is that it's, uh, it's, there's no doubt that the um, that the gendarmerie um, were repulsed. Exactly how it happened, we don't really know, and most likely it wouldn't um, um, as as this uh, as the usual tale is given. You know, uh, for example. You know, and, and and of course this comes to gaming because of course um, 
that incident is the main piece of evidence that the rules writers have uh, for making the French cavalry at that period um, recall, you know, using pistols uh, on horseback, using firepower on horseback. That's the main piece of evidence for it. But of course, it's not a very reliable piece of evidence, and there's massive amount of evidence. For example, that unit charged, I can't remember if it was now seven times or nine times with the sword only in the same battle. So it's not a, a, a standard tactic, it's something that's unusual. You know, so that's, that's effectively what I'm arguing. I'm glad you've said the, they were still uh, repulsed because, in, in my depiction of it, there's three of the cavalry facing the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to have to rebase them for a moment. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know there was that many different versions of the uh, of the account. Well, that, well, that's it. I mean, the, 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 it's it's. Uh, I won't talk about it now, but it, but, uh, but uh, because uh, I believe at the end you want to ask me for sort of like um uh, my kind of um. um library entries and sort of things and that's something which my library entry is going to like uh, um, uh, put me to, to do. I, I enjoy kind of questioning these things and kind of examining the, the, the origin of these things and, and that led me to, to do this, this, this latest book and as I said it, it doesn't take um, an awful lot of, 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 um, of study to, to, to find that quite a lot of the things that we think are kind of Standard practice at times uh, is wrong. You know, um, the, um, like there's, you know, um, there's there's plenty of examples of this, but uh, this is, for example, one which, uh, which I'm writing about at the moment. And as I say, it is generally speaking the kind of thing which makes its way into war games rules. Um, uh, but the evidence for it, I mean, the, the, again, for this kind of era, the um, whole. Of, um, 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 it's a very famous incident where um, two Irish units um, met in a wood in um, uh, Battle of Malplaquet. Okay. Uh, come across that one? I'm not familiar with this one, no. I'm, I'm all ears now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a very famous incident because there's a, there's a, um, they're both called the Royal Irish uh, Regiment and one of them is a French unit and the other one is a, a British unit. And yeah. Mal, 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 Malplaquet, uh, they met. And so it's meant to be a kind of fair fight, uh, and the British unit drove off the French unit with kind of like massive casualties. That's the the, uh, the crux of it, which is kind of proof that British tune firing and firepower um, um, is vastly superior. The problem is, it's just completely not supported by any evidence <laughs> or any reliable evidence. So, so, so it's you know, so, so basically looking at things like that, which hopefully people uh, gamers will find interesting, and also hopefully um, uh, will will encourage um, other people. Um, I, um, I, I wouldn't describe myself as an historian, but I certainly hope that some of the things I, I write about history, the people who are historians will take up and kind of look into in more depth. Is, is, uh, I'm hoping to, to provoke to study for people who've actually got more time and resources than I have <laughs> to look into these things too. Yeah, well, I always think history uh, is at its best when it provokes discussion um, and and argument in the in the nicest sense. In that you can you make you you read your resources um, or, or you, sorry the sources that you have available, and you you will form an opinion, and that might be contrary to the next person's opinion, and you can have yeah. a a debate about it but that that's the lovely thing about history isn't it that um 
And of course, going back to what we were talking about before, because because of course, like for example, when we're talking about uh, Marlborough's time, uh, uh, many of the kind of core books on that period, uh, which people who are interested in that period will probably sort of know, people like Chandler and that kind of uh, thing. They were they were written in the kind of fifties, sixties, seventies, and of yes. course, in those days, there wasn't any access, to, uh, very much access, non English sources and even some of the English sources would be difficult to get hold of whereas now we have the benefit of internet I can go online after I finish uh, uh, talking to you and, and um, talk to a French professor about something or a Spanish researcher about something or a Russian researcher about something you know, the, the um, access to a variety of sources now um, is a lot more than it was in many of the history books we as, as, as gamers and as people um, I'm assuming we're, uh, as a general thing, we're kind of like of the older persuasion, the, uh, the gamers, um, because our history is is basically uh, often now um, out of date, you know, um, given the greater access to resources we have uh, now. So, so when can we expect to see this? I'm, I'm having I'm, I'm having real trouble with it to try and kind of pull it together because essentially it's it's kind of. Um, um, the, well, the narrative of the of the battles is is is, is one thing, and then the, the bits connected with the the different um, other issues uh, to that period are kind of very disparate. I'm having a great great deal of difficulty actually pulling it together into 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 like a whole unified thing. So I don't know really. <laughs> I've been I've been struggling with it for, for for a while, to be honest. To be fair, so so um, I think maybe maybe it might need to be kind of like. Um, Books, one of which looks at like the, um, the various um, um, kind of myth busting aspect, and another one of which is kind of like a narrative of the of the of some of the battles and things uh, that happened in the in the war uh, from the point of view of uh, the, the information I've provided. If that makes sense. I don't know when. I mean, I, I'm I'm a terrible one for keeping um, <laughs> just things. I'm a terrible one for flitting. I, you know, I, I, this is the problem as well with the. As you may notice with the when we talk about the war game and things, I've got about four or five things. I mean, that's because I just I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, I'll do this, and then I go off and do it. But then it might be like six months later before I come back and do it again. You know, it's just flit around all over the place, and then I kind of think, oh, well, you know, I better I better paint up some figures for the game I'm doing next week. You know? And then it all goes in the back burner. Yeah, it afflicts all. I think this condition. Nick. Yeah. yeah. Unique in that sense. So, when it, whenever that arrives, I shall uh, I shall look forward to it with uh, with relish. Yeah. Well, as I say, I mean, hopefully, it, it, at the very least, hopefully, it'll, it'll provoke some other people into doing some research because that's one of the things which is quite nice with the uh, with the other books that I've done is that, as I say, I wouldn't necessarily say they're the world's greatest book on the subject, but they have provoked more research onto the things I was talking about in people who have more time and uh, resources to do it than I do. So that's good. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, so your own hobby then, Nick. Uh, what, what have you got ongoing at the minute with your own hobby? Uh, I, I'm, not, I, I'm basically at the moment, I, I'm kind of... Um, uh, I'm a great one for kind of like continually building armors. I tend to kind of um, buy you know, a, a, a basic starter a group and then keep adding onto it until I've got absolutely everything in the known universe. So <laughs> basically, um, uh, I've just finished painting a map of um, of Mulberian um, uh, figures uh, to fill out uh, uh, my armor for that. But I have got um, just looking here, I want to five of uh, the useful boxes. Have you seen those? Um, 
Yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got for for that war. I've got nearly, nearly enough to do everything in that war. The same with Northern War as well, you know. Um, and at the moment, uh, so at the moment, I've got um, sitting on my painting desk uh, some six mil Bacchus uh, because I bought myself um, kind of starter, well, um, started to middle sized army for for um, um, thirty years war. Uh, kind of um, generic kind of Germans and um, and uh, Catholics and stuff. And I got some more to paint it, but I literally realised just before I uh, started talking to you, I've, I've managed to not buy enough pikemen because <laughs> I was sorting out the units and I haven't got enough pikemen. So you know, I need to wait to wait for the guest uh, to open up again before I can uh, order some more of those. Yeah. Um, and then also um, uh, um, I, I have. Um, um, 19th century uh, 600 armies. Now I want to sort of um, get those uh, fleshed out. Um, but I'm a bit like uh, going back to your interview with um, I forget his name again, John Whirlwind. You know, um, yeah. I'm a bit like him in that I don't have uh, a massive lead mountain, which is a bit of a, a kind of a shock in the gaming world. <laughs> um, and that, that dates back to the time when I was in uh, living in Prague. Uh, of course, the thing is, access to figures then was very difficult, and also they were due uh, to the um, difference in living standards. Uh, Western figures were very expensive, so I actually um, uh, painted all my mountain when I was in Prague, and and so now, for example, I have six packs of um, of uh, figures unpainted Thirty um, Years War, and that's all I've got. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> because I, I, I find I, so John, I can't remember what John said now, but I thought it was very interesting what John said. But I find that makes uh, makes you paint more because, of course, the thing is, I've got a very strict rule that I don't buy any new figures until I'm down to like a, a like a week or, or so's worth of, of painting left. So, of course, if I want to do this new war I've really got in, into, I've got to get painted what I've already got. Which yeah, you got paint a lot more than I ever did before. <laughs> Makes absolute perfect sense, Nick. And, yeah. and I spoke to John about it. I think he's refined it down to the point where he's got eight hours worth of painting uh, in stock. Um, it makes absolute perfect sense, but I, I just can't. I can't bring myself to uh, to uh, learn the lessons. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to be fair, to be fair, I probably I have got like everybody has. I've got like scattered around the odd kind of. And pieces of figures that I've, that I've you know, like um, I've, I've found when I was um, um, when I was searching for something the other day. I've got about twenty fifteen millimeter medieval Welsh, would you believe, uh, which I, uh, I painted that army about twenty five years ago, and they've never got painted. Uh, the, the other thing that that, that uh, which people might be interested in because I've been quite um, um, quite interested in well in the two millimeter stuff, I would think has a lot of potential. Is uh, I've got a plan to do. Uh, some kind of historical battle, uh, probably from 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 uh, Marlborough's time or the Great Northern War, or possibly earlier in the um, into one thirty years war time, uh, in two millimeter at one to one scale, so that so that a six hundred man battalion will have six hundred figures. That kind of idea, yeah. um, you might do, you, I think if you were I think it was at um, the George Six um, when uh, Faustad was on there was a. Uh, a, uh, th- a um, Wars of the Roses battle done there, Towton, I think, maybe. Oh, yes, I saw that. Really loud Towton project, yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, because because oh, and those uh, those look, uh, uh, I also saw the, uh, the um, did a, 
uh, an English Civil War one as well, maybe Edge Hill, you know, um, Yes, that was at Sheffield Triples, that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 they, those are what I'm aiming for, is something along that. So I'd love to do, for example, uh, Benim uh, at one-to-one figure scale with, with with all the battalions and stuff. And in particular, because, of course, um, if you go one-to-one scale, you can see what the formations actually look like. Because, of course, you know, um, uh, we're used to seeing kind of like, I mean, um, not sure what you've done with your figures, but uh, uh, you know, we, we have kind of like you know, maybe sort of twenty figures in in two ranks uh, for for an infantry unit and stuff. But, uh, you know, and they typically something like kind of you know a ratio of like two to one, three to one frontage to to to, to um. Get, you know, of course, once you do actual historical figures, then a, a battalion, a six hundred um, man battalion in kind of three or four rank, it's so long and thin, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it'd be really nice to kind of see that uh, in the same way that the, uh, the guys did out and and um, it was it Edge Hill. It was Edge Hill, yes. I, I, I remember it quite vividly, actually. Yeah, that's, I remember. I remember the look of it, you know, because it was stunning. When, you know, well, both of them were stunning, you know, and 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 also, of course, the same kind of idea that he does with his his um, um, stuff. Yeah, the whole idea of kind of like a mass battle really does like a battle, you know. And I think that would be interesting to do because I think it would also uh, see just how difficult it is to do some of the things that that people try, you know. Um, on on all games tables, which I probably shouldn't be able to do. No, the only start, the only start problem with it is, of course, that um, of course, because they're you know they the real units tend to be very long and thin. I think it's um forty five or fifty foot table I'd need for blending, even in two millimeter. So of course, in six millimeter, it would be kind of like I don't know hundred foot or something table. <laughs> so I've got no, I'm I, um, I'm having a bit of trouble trying to find the battle, which is kind of like um. Um, well known enough and interesting enough, that people would um, would want to sort of see it uh, and can actually fit in a war games typical war games venue. <laughs> I think even I might uh, rail at the thought of doing a hundred foot long table. It's something I'd like to do, and as I say, I mean, I'll probably do it on. on and this is why I'm thinking of maybe something that's that's, uh, for example, English of War because English of War battles, uh, or for that matter, Great Northern War battles as well, tend to be a lot smaller than the continental battles, and so therefore, you know. I I'd only need a twelve or sixteen foot table or something like that. <laughs> Mate, that that's been great. Absolutely fascinating chatting to you, Nick, about uh, your your various projects and and the rules. And, and it must be said, you're very very easy to chat to as well. Yeah. Oh well, that's very kind. Of I'd, like, I'd, like, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for the for the podcast and everything you've been doing. It's uh, it's been really good. <laughs> well, it, it's. Uh, I'm not very good at taking compliments because I, I always think all I am is the, is the um, the facilitator, if you like. I, I I find the interesting people like yourselves to come on and chat, and uh, the less the listeners hear of me, and the more they hear of the likes of you, the better for me. But uh, I'll, I'll I'll take that compliment. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I think you know the the drill now, Nick. Uh, you've already alluded to the fact that I'm, there's two requests that I make uh, of any guest that comes onto the show and uh, I don't let them drop off the call until they've committed to it so uh, <laughs> the, the choice is yours. Um, the, the first is that you commit to come back onto the show at some point in the future to talk uh, further maybe about the uh, the pending book uh, that you've got coming. Or, I'd, I'd be happy to. I, I mean as you probably guessed from me we're doing on endlessly here I'm more than happy to talk about 
Uh, gaming <laughs> to anybody at any time. <laughs> the, the main problem is shutting the other. Well, no, it's it's one of my favourite uh, things to do as well to talk about the hobby, and it's it's interesting actually that um, certainly in the in the pre-ramble chat before a press recording with most people that I've had on the show, um, th- that's a common theme that people say to me. Oh, I can talk about wargaming all day. <laughs> And uh, it, it's one of those things, isn't it, that it's such a multidisciplinary hobby. And, and the thing is, I mean, I, 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 I've never actually sort of sat down and, and done it, but I, I would imagine, I, you know, it, we're counting in writing as well. I'll probably write and, and talk about war game more than I ever game. You know, um, um, I think most people are like that, don't they? Yeah, they can, you know, discuss what, you know, there's endless discussions within that within our club uh, when we're playing games and also online about what we're going to do, what figures we've got, and it's doing rules and history and stuff, you know, so yeah, it's yeah. an integral part of the hobby, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a very sociable hobby. You know, it, I think. it is, and whenever, whenever I have a discussion with somebody at work about it, um, that they might typically and stereotypically uh, call it a, a, a bit of a geeky hobby or uh, you've, you've not grown up from playing with toy soldiers yet. But they'll happily sit in a in a dark room talking to somebody in Australia whilst they're playing Call of Duty uh, or whatever the latest computer game is online. Yeah, um, which really takes very little effort. And and this for me, this is a hobby that uh, rewards effort and rewards into social interaction as well. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. So uh, I, I I feel as though I always win those arguments. So I certainly so. I certainly come out on the moral high ground <laughs> during those discussions. Uh, so, yes, the first commitment is that uh, you uh, agree to return, which uh, I'm happy to say you've already agreed. And the second is that you deposit a book within the God's Own Scale virtual library, which is getting quite full now because although this is the 20th episode, there have been a few people who have deposited more than one book. So I think we're up to about 20, 27 books now. Well, it, it must be it must be said... Uh, the, yeah, ever since you first invited me, I've, I've, I've thought about this and I've rethought about it, and I've, I've had about like uh, I haven't actually drawn any lists up, but I've kind of like <laughs> I've had a mental sort of list all the time. And of course, it's so difficult to pick um, uh, one or even kind of a couple of, of books from uh, from the books uh, that you kind of like. Um, yeah, well, well, that's why you must come on again. You see, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. to. Uh, uh, Prepare a list and just read it out to everybody. (laughs) That would be a really boring podcast. (laughs) I think most everybody's deposited is three books, so uh, I'm 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 afraid I'm going to I'm going to go for like well, um, kind of three. You know, um, I I think I I think I'm bearing in mind my my kind of like my kind of attitude things. I think I've got to have at least one uh, wargaming book and at least one history book uh, uh, to the thing. You know. Um, and, um, and luckily, I don't need to work on them a bit too much because I've already talked about them a little bit. You know? So I, I, I think I'd add um, Battle Practical Wargaming by um, Charles Grant. Yes. Book. Um, obviously, I, mean, uh, I don't know if you've played them. They're a set, set of Second World War rules, very simple uh, set of Second World Wars, but they, they were the set of rules that I found in my local library and were the first proper set of wargame rules I ever had and, and uh, what I played. Uh, for a long time, so obviously um, a massive room for me. Um, and of course, it's a full copy of that. It's about three foot over my left shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it, maybe not the world's greatest set of rules, but they're incredibly influential in 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 here for me. And of course, Charles Grant, 
toe, really. I mean, um, where would we be without his generation? You know. Um, and then, and then I thought for history, well, there's actually kind of two, really. You know, uh, one of which is is by um, uh, somebody I've already mentioned by Halsall, uh, because because um, because he came to the club and was a big influence in the early stages of it, and, and and is a serious historian. Um, and um, and as I said, his father was my history. Um, I can recommend one of his books uh, because it's his kind of his attitude and his kind of um, 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 way of doing things has uh, had a big influence on me um, over the years. It's called Worlds of Arthur, um, which is a book. It's a history book, a wargaming book about the Dark Ages and uh, King Arthur, and essentially uh, what we know about King Arthur and what we don't know about King Arthur. Um, you you probably won't remember, but guy because guy's a guy, uh, guy as I say is a history professor and he's um over the years he's he's written many articles in various wargaming magazines attempting to kind of like um <laughs> just poor as <laughs> poor gamers about the realities of Dark Age Britain and, and stuff without too much success. Right. Uh, and this is a book basically uh, which is looks at the reality and of 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 uh, Arthurian times so. Um, that uh, I think is uh, really good and connected to that uh, is a book which is called uh, Decisive Battles of the English Civil War by an old professor of mine and uh, someone I'm uh, lucky enough to know as well called Malcolm Wanklin and he does the same for the English Civil War he looked at, uh, in the book he looked at what evidence we actually have on the on uh, about 10 battles uh, he looks at uh, from the English Civil War uh, and um, and what it actually says so both of them in Incredibly interesting uh, from the point of view of um, you know, what 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 the real history is of, of these kind of like um, heroes, you know. So, some uh, worlds of uh, worlds of Arthur by by Halcyon and decisive battles of the English War by Malcolm. Wang. And um, you've clearly got a very good taste in books because I've got the uh, Malcolm Wankley book as well. That's that's probably over my right shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I do honestly think, I mean, because it, uh, it, uh, I don't know if you've got any of the rest of his books, but um, you know, his books really are transforming the, the way we look at the English Civil War, I think. You know, and that book in particular, uh, it, it was, it's a great inspiration for me um, for the book I'm writing at the moment. Yeah. I, th- I think the, um, the sections on the topography of the battlefields in that book uh, are probably had one of the most interesting uh we i found the most interesting um when i was many years ago i did a now what was it it was master moore actually um using i'm I'm part of the peter pig uh, play test team with uh, the guys down in weymouth and and um we were doing some scenarios for that rule book um, and the the Wankling book certainly informed a lot of my thinking in writing some of the scenarios for that. So, uh, the, particularly around the the topographical features uh, of the battlefield and the lay of the land. So, uh, yeah. that's a, that's a great recommendation. That is, not that the, all three will take. I think if you, if you as you know that book, I mean, essentially uh, that's the kind of model I'm trying to aim at with my book is to try and look at. Um, what evidence there is for these various incidents from Marlborough's time 
and and uh, and and then you know the same way and and probably because of course um, you'll know from that book that he tends to do on each battle he does uh, a, um, a chapter about uh, the topography, the background, and this kind of part uh, uh, things about the battle. And then he does a narrative of what the battles are like. So that is essentially what I'm intending to do with Marble thing. I'm, I'm even more fascinated than for uh, the end product there. Yeah, Nick. well, it won't be as good as his because he's he's a very very um, uh, learned gentleman and, and a, a very nice uh, guy as well. If you ever meet him, <laughs> it is in the eye of the beholder, Nick. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, he was he was he was my professor as well at a, at a uni, so that helps a bit. I guess. <laughs> uh, Nick, it's been fascinating to talk to you. So, uh, it's been a pleasure. The Twilight series really does intrigue me. And I, I don't know if I said it on the recording or prior to next year. Um, I've got a couple of largest projects on the go. One is um, the Somme or Tiepval, not the whole of the Somme, but Tiepval. And the other is Blenheim. So um, I will be looking at the Twilight uh, rules for that. Uh, and I, you, I don't know if you'll remember. We have communicated online on the Facebook group about it, so I'll be—I uh, shall be digging into those rules and using that as the basis. Well, if anybody if anybody is listening and 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 want, uh, has any questions about the rules, or, or for that matter about the history and stuff, I'm happy to to catch just uh, in touch. That, that's fantastic of you, uh, of you uh, to offer that service, Nick. If somebody wants to get a copy of uh, one of the rule books or the scenario books, where's the best place for them to find it? Well, I mean the uh, the um, the Divine Right and the Sun King uh, that's sold by the Parking Shot Society, um, but also um, on military matters in the states and uh, Caliber Books uh, stock them um, here uh, in Britain. Um, the Soldier Kings rules, the uh, Seven Years War ones, uh, they're they're available uh, from uh, um, my own company, which is um, um, Wire Historic Books, uh, which you should find online with a bit of luck. Um, and they were also stopped by um, Omnilux Matters and uh, Caliphate Books. Uh, hopefully, um, again, this is a, a victim of um, of the uh, COVID crisis, but hopefully. Uh, they should be available as PDFs soon as well. Uh, the Soldier King's rules and my book coming um, soon, we hope. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. That, that was a question whether uh, or not they're available as PDF, but I'll... The Parkinson Society, uh, for various reasons, don't like uh, um, PDFs. Uh, so, um, well, I wouldn't rule them out from the, from the Parkinson Society. Uh, I wouldn't hold my breath. But very much, um, uh, I personally think PDFs are probably the way to go forward in rules. Um, certainly, certainly as a, an addition to um, uh, printed copies, um, if not to replace them eventually, I guess. Yeah, and to be honest, Nick, I'm finding myself um, having both versions actually because it's quite handy. Yeah, that's what most people do, isn't it? You know, I mean, I tend to buy the if I can, I buy the PDF, and then if I like the rules and I'm paying them a lot. I need to have the, the set of rules in my hand so I, so I buy a, a printed copy. You know? Yeah, precisely, yeah. yes. Um, the whole thing, because I think, I mean, some people have, have got great, you know, because, of course, obviously a, it's easy to uh, copy uh, uh, PDFs or, or relatively easy to copy and send them around. But I think all the evidence is that while some people would do that, most people 
uh, and in particular, um, like increased sales, not uh, have a negative effect on them. Yeah, and I think there's there's quite a few companies that actually thrive on on the PDF model. I know Two Fat Mardis uh, do a roaring trade in in the PDF side of things, and I, I have to assume that um, piracy isn't d- doesn't impact on on them greatly because they continue to offer. Uh, the PDF model, but I'll, what I'll do is I'll I'll put up links to whatever sources I can find, whether it's Caliber or on military matters and the Park and Shot Society in the show notes for people to uh, check those rules out and uh, hopefully pick them up and uh, give them a go. Uh, Nick, once again, thanks very much for your time. It's been great to chat. I will be bringing you back on. <laughs> and, and hopefully, hopefully we'll bump into each other at the Joy of Six uh, next year, which uh, I think is first down for the first weekend in July 2021, COVID pandemic permitting. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> It'd be nice to get back to normal, won't it? It, w- it would, mate, it would. So thanks very much for your time and uh, we'll speak again. Yeah, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Before we started recording, Nick did explain that he lives in an area that is the worst 1% of the country for internet connection. So forgive the variable sound quality as ever, but I don't think it's anywhere near the Pony Wars saga from a couple of episodes ago. Having had guest slots on both Henry Hyde's podcast and the excellent Across the Pond Wargamers podcast with Colin and Gary, I should imagine you're sick of the sound of my voice, so I'll keep this outro short. As I type, I've just received a small order from Battlescale, who make excellent resin buildings and scenery in 6 and 10 mil, and I think larger scales as well. Uh, The buildings are mostly for my Mons game, but useful in any northern European setting. Uh, They're actually only just down the road from me, a couple of villages over, so I may look to get them on the show at some point in the future to talk through their processes for getting their miniature architectural masterpieces made and produced, ready for us wargamers to get them on the table. And I have to say, buying 6mm buildings is becoming a little bit of a side hobby all of its own uh, with the quality of buildings out there at the moment. So look out for a short video soon uh, on God's Own Scale TV via YouTube where I'll review those buildings and tell you all about them. Thank you as ever to all of my patriots who continue to help the show. I've got the new microphone now uh, that this outro has been recorded on. I'm still working out how best to use it, but hopefully the sound is a touch improved for you. If you've enjoyed this episode, and indeed any of the previous 19 episodes, please do consider supporting the show through Patreon. Every penny helps, and the link is in the show notes. Once uh, Wargame shows are back on the scene, I do intend to do some roving reporting, 
hopefully with a quality mobile recorder to add an extra spark to the show. I'm always open to suggestions for content or ways that I can improve the show, so please feel free to get in touch either via email at godsownscale at gmail.com or else via Twitter at godsownscale where I can be found most days wittering away. The episodes in the run-up to Christmas and beyond are beginning to take shape and I'm hoping to have a bit of a Christmas special out on Christmas Eve with some exciting news contained within it to warm the cold heart of even the most miserly Scrooge characters amongst you. But... More of that in the next couple of episodes. But for now, thank you for listening. Please share news of the podcast far and wide. As ever, play nice and keep talking about six. Oh, 